just going to move something away from me because so, I've, I've bought myself a bit of a birthday present, which I've just opened. Oh, no. And I'm looking at it and I, it's going to take my attention away from you, you lovely gentlemen. <laughs> uh, it's quite a geeky present as well. So I'm just going to move that away. In fact, I'm going to put it out of the room, actually. Are either of you, you, either of you two golfers? No. 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 Okay. Okay. I'll probably I'll leave it there. Then it's fine. Yeah. You know Go what? On. I was just going to ask you what it was, and then you said that, and I thought, oh, I don't care. I will. Tell you, <laughs> I've got a ten-second explanation. It's a telescope for golf, so you can see how far your next shot is. That's basically what it is. So you can zoom in on like a flag, and it'll tell you how, yeah. how, how far away it is. So, wow. so apologies for telling me that. Yeah. <laughs> you got to really love golf to get that. <laughs> yeah, I really do love golf. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and today we discuss wrestling's equivalent of the end of the world. And that's not an unintentional spoiler about the quality of the show, as WWE leaned into the Y2K fears of the time and named their final pay-per-view of the millennium Armageddon 1999. Joining me today for this trip back to the heart of the Attitude Era is old man Sam Kerry, buoyed by the potential of a Val Venus match on the show recovering. There was no way he was going to miss this one. Sam, how are you? I mean, we'll get there, but are these listeners in for a fucking treat today? Because it's it's not just Val Venus. There's someone else in that match that is going to absolutely perk everyone up. And just a little quick note. I didn't really put the two together, that it's the end of the millennium, and they went with Armageddon. Didn't get that. So well done, Tinky. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I, I Until I thought about writing the intro, and I thought, oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That was it. But it's good to have Old Man on the show because our other regular co-host, Tom Smith, however, did elect to miss this one. Apparently, he is on holiday this week, so we have drafted in a more than able deputy in his place. And making his first appearance on the Random Wrestling Review today, we have Stephen from the magnificent Mid-South Moments podcast. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very honoured to be here. And I'll try and, not, I'll try and be a little bit better than Savio Vega was at No Way Out of Texas in 1998 as a fill-in there. So <laughs> I'll do my no. best. No guarantees. Nobody is, is as unfortunate as Savio Vega and No Way Out of Texas, 1998. No one. We were saying this is an upgrade, as far as I'm concerned. This is an upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. You'll also know, Stephen, occasionally, old man will just walk out of the room and just come back. Yeah. Oftentimes to go get something or to answer the door. Sometimes just to go to the toilet. And he'll just do it middle of the podcast. I suppose um, that's the joys of wireless, wireless setup there, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. Obviously, the hope is if I do go to the toilet, I remember to mute my mic because otherwise <laughs> you'll just hear me straining a piss out. Well, my hope is the opposite because we'll hear you straining a piss out. But, you know, I look forward to that. <laughs> now Stephen what we tend to do uh, on the podcast when we have a guest we've had a couple in the past uh, is we tend to ask them a little bit about their wrestling fandom history and also I think the thing I'm most interested in though is people's blind spots so what bits of wrestling they don't know well uh, uh, yes. okay. because I think and obviously tell us what you do know well but you know I just I'm also really interested to know what people are not you know I haven't had a huge amount of history with I mean because specifically I think old man and Tom before we started doing this show hadn't watched a lot of 
WCW. Um, so and or a lot of ECW for that matter. So there's kind of a lot of the stuff we're doing has been kind of introductory stuff to them. Mm. So it's just interesting to see where you are with that stuff. I think my blind spot is probably the bit where you first because I, I know you did the couple of Survivor series from the, like 93, 94. That is just the time I'm kind of getting away from it a little bit, I'd say. And then worse into 96 when Sean beat Brett for the title. So I'm, like, I'm not having this anymore. I'm I'm out basically. <laughs> so um, he's a perfect substitute for Tom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, is he not a Sean Michaels? fan either then, by the time. Oh, i know no, he, was, he was going about his hair a couple of weeks ago i think wasn't he no he's a big brett guy so oh, okay, it's the opposite okay. reason yes well i was also a big brett guy but i can just about remember showing my age uh british wrestling on itv probably for oh, a couple yes. of years um and i also remember my gran was particularly into it and my gran and my dad hated the weeks the wwf were on so i've got i've only got really vague recollections of that of WWF because I think they would do every other week or one week in three about back then um but really it started for me 1990 is the I first got Sky so that's kind of when it started for me SummerSlam 90 and kind of onwards did the whole Silver Vision thing getting the old videos back but I kind of lost my way a little bit around probably 90s started uh, sorry 93 94 95 falling a little bit i think when we didn't get raw when raw started i don't know if you you guys remember this when raw was a thing and we didn't Mm. get raw i was like i'm i'm quite completed with things i want to better see everything and i'm watching todd pettingill on wf mania i'm just like what is this where is raw and why didn't we get it and i don't think we got it for probably a good couple of years after that i'm trying to think back when we got sky because it wasn't on there when we first got Sky at my parents' house, and that would have been 95. Yeah, that doesn't surprise 96, me. 96, yeah. I yeah. think. And then, obviously, 97 came in, and they realised Val Venus was going to be debuting soon. So they <laughs> so Sky were like, we're having this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I must be honest, WCW, really, I don't even remember the WCW on TNT days. That kind of got me back into wrestling, watched the NWO angle. And then the really big one was Steve Austin. Uh, as I imagine, quite a lot of people got brought back in 97 as a result of that. And I kind of haven't looked back since. I don't I've, I watch most of that era of WCW in terms of nitros but as you can probably remember we only got an hour version so when I went back and watched like the first 10 nitros I'm like uh sorry not quite as early as that a bit later like there's angles and things that I have no recollection of because it wasn't an hour version uh, and now I watch no WWE I keep up to date with AEW and I'm trying with New Japan but I've got a bit sick of the whole no cheering and no booing so that's kind of kind of my wrestling CV I suppose I guess if you like Excellent, excellent. And of course, you're also deep in the mire of Mid-South Wrestling as well with yes. your, your regular podcast, Mid-South Moments, which has just recently had what must be the biggest the biggest episode you've ever done with Bill Watts himself mm. on the show. Yeah, I feel like giving up now, to be honest. I, I've, I, can't, <laughs> I, actually, I actually do legitimately feel like giving up. Um, but it's like, yeah, I, I was lucky to have one of the, my guest hosts reached out to Eric Watts, um, who's just like the lo- absolute loveliest guy, and will just happily phone you up and, and talk to you on the phone for like two hours, basically, which he did to one of my regular co-hosts who lives in Alabama. And we got Eric Watts on the show in the summer. And then I wanted to get him back on for the Flair and DiBiase famous angle, but widely considered kind of the best television episode of Mid-South ever. And he, he basically Facebook messaged him messaged me then phoned me and said oh my dad is basically up for coming on as well um and i'll come on with him and that was like the day before so i, I spent six hours the next day reading all of the mid-south stuff in bill watts's <laughs> book um which i kind of touched on previously but i wanted to better remember it. and he was really really good but now there's it's we're at a point where there's no more mid-south on the, on the wwe network
network at all after mm. December the 14th. So all the stuff out of their original TV home is no more. And um, I probably will carry it on for a bit longer. But it is, I mean, you guys know how much work this is. Um, you know, it is, it is a different kettle of fish doing a podcast in normal life than it is lockdown times, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Actually, yeah. I, I, I looked at that myself on the WWE Network the other day because you were asked about it on Twitter because you were saying, you know, was there genuinely no episodes, I think, two weeks towards the end of 1985? Yeah, yeah. And, and I looked on the network and I was like, oh, God, there is only like, I think there's one episode from 86 on there and that's it. Which is um, Ultimate so, Warrior, I think, debut or something like that. I think that's why uh, that's on there. Okay, yeah. fine. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a shame. Well, fingers crossed that things things continue. But it was, it was you, you reached the pinnacle, I guess, with the yes. <laughs> It's only downhill from here. We'll get cancelled <laughs> for something after that. But there we go, yeah. Well, we, we've made it a long uh, um, ambition of ours never to have any actual wrestlers on the show because we, we wouldn't be able to slag them off as much as we did if we started <laughs> having them on. So it just wouldn't work. Um, um, honest, but- I looked at some of my old descriptions. I was looking at something else and there's a few bits where like, oh, Bill Watts was very confused this week. I'm thinking, oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad he didn't go through the episode descriptions before he agreed to come <laughs> on. Can you imagine if he had, he'd come on and just torn you a new asshole. He, he really would have done. He was <laughs> oh, such an, I, would have been I tell you what, incredible. he was intense. He, he was such a, he was a really nice guy, but very intense he's 82 now very intense individual and probably the bit i found like we're doing right now i could see eric watts's reaction to his dad and his dad telling stories and his eric watts was like completely kind of transfixed and it was an absolute adoration of his father i've never never seen anything like it really which is quite lovely in a way but it was yeah it was it was it was quite a quite a mind-altering evening doing that to be honest but yeah it was good fun (laughs) well before we get underway with this show properly it first of all falls upon me to point you in the direction of our social media channels we can be found on facebook twitter and instagram at rwr pod uk and if you fancy lending us just a little extra support why not rate or review us on your podcasting app of choice or wherever whatever it is that you can do wherever it is that you listen to the show so guys armageddon 1999 wwe's final show of the the last millennium which should be historical so you know mm. who knows this 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 could be a, a classic this could be a classic <laughs> don't don't laugh <laughs> <laughs> so um what we tend to do at this point is we give our our kind of expectations going in our, our kind of what we were expecting before we started watching the show oh man why won't we start with yourself so i can remember the very end of this show the very very end like you're talking the last three minutes and i can remember i would have been 15 16 at this time and i can remember starting to watch it and even at that young age thinking this is absolute dirt and fast forward into the end so i'll be honest i wasn't particularly excited about this one as a wrestling show but i thought we were gonna have a good time talking about it what about yourself Stephen? i i did exactly the same back in 99 as an 18 year old fast forwarding through the main event and i expected this to be absolutely terrible <laughs> and i must be honest i i thought to myself like i'm i'm guessing a podcast and i need to do, like, try and do a good job rather than the slap dash job i do on my own podcast so i actually went back and watched the raw and smackdown before Wow. Actually, the oh. Raw was a really good show. I really enjoyed the Raw. It was just like segment, segment, fast match, promo. Everyone was over. The crowd was into it. SmackDown was a little bit duller. But I actually really liked quite a lot of stuff that was going on. But Triple H did, did a really good job in some of the, some of the kind of um, setups. This. So actually, before I watched it, my opinion has slightly changed. I was more into what was going to happen than I would have been at the outset. But that quickly changed. 
<laughs> well, it's interesting. We we had that same thing. We when we did, did Judgment Day in your house from '98, um, a few weeks back. We I sort of commented that if you're watching WWE of the time, you don't want to go back and watch just the pay per views because that is mm. not the way mm. to watch WWE of this time. Right. Simply not. So it sounds like you were anticipating that that would continue in in terms of this show. For me, exactly the same as you, old man. I could remember the last three minutes of the show and what happened in the last three minutes of the show, and that was the only thing I could remember. But I was quite excited until. Um, we recently on our Twitter account put up a little question after the Survivor Series 2010 show, which, as I said, was absolutely dog shit about whether there are any shows worse than this or anyone knew of any shows worse than this. And Stephen himself commented saying, I can think of one. Um, and I thought, oh, no, no, we've not got another one. Have we? we haven't got another one. So suddenly I was cast into this. Oh, this is going to be terrible. This show. I can I can feel it coming. And I was thinking, hopefully, hopefully, because I know, you know, Stephen's quite a, you're, you're quite a quite a serious viewer of wrestling. You like quite serious wrestling, you like quite sports based. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. You're big on Rev Pro. You're big on yeah. uh, on Stardom, I think, as well. And so I thought, you know, he, he might just not. This might not be his, his, his thing. It, it'll be, it, it might be fine. So that was kind of where I was hoping. Yeah. This show might I'm be interested ready. if it does get there, actually. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so we start with a strange, a very strange intro video with choir <laughs> slash church type music. Hyping mm. Vince's coming match with Triple H. There's no voiceover. It's all text on the screen. It's very, very strange. So this is not even this is not even familiar as a WWE viewer. No, it was very. What was stranger about it, and this only became apparent later on in the show, is that Triple H isn't the champion. So he's talking. Obviously, it makes sense when I knew that, but it's just very odd because he's talking about how much he loves his title, which I kind of respect. And that is kind of they're going on about obviously the stuff with Stephanie. And I'm I was going to ask you boys this: Why are they feuding? I can't remember. Is it purely that Vince cost Triple H the title, so he married his daughter? I believe so, but I didn't remember yeah. that Vince had cost. Triple H the title yeah. until I saw that in this video package during the show. Yeah, I've got no, that Survivor Series '99. Obviously, Austin was in. I can't really. Re, I can't remember uh, whether whether we knew back then that Austin was out mm. or we didn't know until after. I can't, I can't really remember, but I just remember that being a, an absolute atrocity of a show. Um, so again, <laughs> it's just kind of gone out of my mind. But yeah, I guess that was the reason they were feuding, wasn't it? I think. No, that Survivor Series show is quite famous. That one for being the one where WWE pulled the old bait and switch because they did not yeah. announce the Steve Austin and wasn't going to be competing until the night even though they knew at least 10 days before that he wasn't going to be able to wrestle and of course then he had a year out which is why he's not on this show and so Big Show was effectively cast into that triple threat match because it was due to be Austin Rock and Triple H in a triple threat match which would have been you know massive I don't think yeah. that ever happened in the end no. of the match and they put Big Show in instead and but I hadn't remembered absolutely not remembered that Vince had cost Triple H during that match yeah. here's a question for you both and I've always thought and I thought this at the time should that have gone to test that role rather than the big show possibly yeah possibly yeah. I mean it's, it's weird isn't it because sometimes when you look back at guys that didn't make it if you like or weren't you know even close to making it which is I guess where you would see test as it's hard to then picture them in a role which casts them in the main event or mm. of, uh, especially of a show like Survivor Series mm. and potentially even winning the world title it's very difficult to think of it like that and I think also it's 
tempting to find it laughable because you're like well no of course not but yeah, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but actually at the time he was pretty popular his instead stephanie's yeah. relationship was quite a big deal it was featured quite heavily on television and he just seemed to melt away i think probably as a consequence of triple h and stephanie's real life relationship i assume oh, they killed they killed him on the raw the raw and smackdown 100 percent in terms of i think right. um yeah tess was beaten on both raw and smackdown um in the, in the week leading up to this pay-per-view so that yeah he was finished basically by this point test oh yeah. yeah it's a funny one like we were talking about this when we did the judgment day show in 98 when during the first lockdown last year i kind of went back and watched some 97 98 got into 99 but i'd stopped by this point and uh he was pretty big and from what i remember he was much better than i actually remember in yeah. the ring and i th- i always thought like i'd not thought about it with him taking a place of the big show but that makes complete sense because the big show as well obviously he debuted when was it? Was it 99? Uh, Feb- February 99 at St. Valentine's Day. Yeah. yeah. And they'd already kind of dropped about seven balls with him. Mm. And then <laughs> they thrust him into, to be fair, he's in an absolute fire feud on this show. <laughs> yes. So... <laughs> Well, we'll get there. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, we're too excited, aren't we? Yeah, we are. I can't wait for that. But all in good time. Yeah, that that to be honest, that's really front and center, really, of this show. We just just as a spoiler, as well. I haven't, we haven't mentioned this on air, but I thought I'd just say it now. We are going to m- mess around a little bit with our um, with our formula Ooh. a little bit next year, and it's possible as a consequence of that 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 would be the first thing we talk about. But seeing as we're still in this year. We're not going to do, yeah. we're not going to go there yet. We're not going to blow our load just yet. So we start with a, oh, I haven't mentioned that our commentary team for the night is Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. We usually just mention that. I don't know if there's any specific comments you wanted to add. I mean, I know myself and yourself, old man, have already talked about these two as a commentary duo before, but I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add. Um, the only thing I wanted to add was about the amount of pyro that goes off at the start of the show. I mean, it's ex. ex- Excessive, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. It's excessive because they've really gone balls deep with the Armageddon theme with some military equipment in the stage setup, which looks very cumbersome to get around because everyone who comes down the ramp kind of isn't really sure of where they're walking because it's also very dark. And let's not forget all those, all those, that all that military paraphernalia is real. We're told yeah. that it's real by the commentators. Yeah. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that's what they told us. There's also so many signs right there. I, 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 as I say, I wonder if either of you have been stuck by behind one of these. But once you've got it on camera once, just put it. If you're going to bring one in the first yeah. place, just put it away. Just so many signs. Like you don't need to have, you know, Tommy's here or whatever on the on the or something much worse than that. Probably in '99, a hundred times yeah. in the pay per view. Like, come on. There's nothing. There's well, nothing worse than the words Tommy's here. Um, so. <laughs> there's a there's a guy who's got a sign and it says i love denise well i heart denise which is lovely but to your point steve he has it up for i think it's about the first four matches all yeah. the way through it's like come on mate denise don't care <laughs> she, she ain't watching this shit the exactly yeah yeah let's be honest first five minutes in she turned this off <laughs> so we our first match of the night is a a 16-man, eight-team battle royal with the winner to face the tag team champions at the Royal Rumble. The rules worked as in basically if one member of a team was eliminated, then both would go. Um, it included the Dudley Boys, Edge and Christian, the Headbangers, the Hardy Boys, the Mean Street Posse, the Acolytes, Too Cool, and the Godfather and Mark Henry. Um, and before the match, the Dudleys come out and cut a short promo telling people not to mess with them effectively. Um, they were very much in the ECW Dudleys um yes. character here weren't they 
yeah, yeah. early ECW doing the stuttering basically weren't they yeah mm. oh, old Bubba Ray he's incredibly large as well at this point that was obviously something that changed reasonably sharpish in WWE he was still, he was still a sturdy unit but he looks incredibly out of shape at this point and he's still putting his um, southern yeah. accent on as well yeah yeah I thought this didn't age particularly well really did it in terms of just it was just crap no. really. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> They basically also say some stuff about Edge and Christian, which I didn't note down because it didn't seem um, significant enough. But then Edge and Christian come down second and they immediately brawl with the Dudleys and take them out of the out of the ring. And then the rest of the teams arrive. Now, I will fast forward to the end of the match and then we'll just you can just fill in what you want. The end comes when effectively there's all kinds of shenanigans with the referees. There's only one referee in this battle royal as well, which is which is a bit unique. We don't usually get that for a for a battle royal, but only one referee. He misses Farouk being eliminated and then Fruk gets back in the ring basically and backdrops Hardy over the top rope and Hardy lands on his feet outside of the ring um, and the Acolytes have won and secured their shot at the tag team titles of the Rumble 2000. Uh, old man, why don't we start with you in terms of your thoughts on this one? I'm not I'm not a battle royal guy. I've mentioned this before and this is this ain't going to change my mind. I've got to be honest because this is very, I'm going to probably use this word quite a lot today, but sloppy, very sloppy. There's a there's a bit where and Mark Emery's one of the best to ever <laughs> lace a pair of boots. But there's a little thing where someone, I can't remember where it is, comes up behind him, but they don't actually do anything and they're obviously meant to eliminate him. So Mark Emery just turns around and almost forward rolls himself over the top rope without anyone touching him. The whole thing, like, JR points out that there's only one ref right at the start. All I could think was poor Jimmy Corderas. Yeah. He's a good referee. He deserves deserves a <laughs> bit of support. I kind of, I didn't mind all the shenanigans with the ref because at least it added something to it. That something wasn't much, but it was better than absolute dog shit, which it was. It was just like a smelly dog fart in the end, I'd say. <laughs> I mean, this for me, you've got, I mean, and, th- and this is, I think this is why the rest of the show is somewhat iffy in ring. You've got, you've got a lot of the better workers in the company in this match thrown away in a battle royal. I know that battle royals were like a big thing in San Francisco about, you know, 50 years ago, but I'm the same. I don't understand why these have ever drawn any money. It's just absolutely dull as dishwater. It's sloppy, as you said. The referees look like an absolute fool. Did you catch Brian Christopher? Not only did he look a fool, Brian Christopher spat right in his face uh, when yes. he was eliminated, which mm. was disgusting, wasn't it? So, yeah, yeah a bad old night for, for Jimmy. Um, yeah, and I just thought, what? I don't it just went on and on and on people were out the crowd went into it crowd got behind the hardies and they eliminated them just yeah no good turd on toast (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah no I mean I can't I can't argue with you I think what said it to me as well though is that there's a lot of people in this match that as you say first of all they're probably some of the better wrestlers you've got Adrian Christian you've got the Hardy Boys etc but also they're not yet where they will be in terms of the way the fans are reacting to them the way that they you know what they mean so the hardy boys come out and there's kind of a, a little bit of a smattering of interest in them this is not long after them beating edge and christian in, in the terry invitational tournament and getting terry runnels services as a consequence and that match that they had the ladder match between the two teams but they're not yet there they haven't had their wrestlemania matches yet they've not quite evolved into that really over tag team nor of edge and christian and as a consequence what hit home to me was that 
the biggest reaction is for the Godfather and Mark Henry, who are by, I was just about to say, by far and away the worst in-ring competitors in this match. And then I realized the Mean Street Posse are also in this match. Um, And they are two people who aren't even wrestlers. And the one wrestler who was part of the Mean Street Posse wasn't one of the two original uh, entrants of this match. Whereas Joey Abs does come in uh, halfway through the match and replaces one of them. But they are quickly dealt with and eliminated. Yeah, it's just not very good. It's kind of a sign that the WWE will have a very in-depth, strong tag team division in the not-too-distant future. Hmm. But at this point, nobody really cares about any of them yeah. just yet. Um, amazingly, though, if you think about it, you've got you've got Bubba, who is a future Impact or TNA world champion. Edge is a future world champion. Christian, future TNA or Impact world champion. You've got Jeff Hardy, future WWE champion. Matt Hardy, future Impact uh, or TNA world champion. You've got Bradshaw, future WWE champion. Farouk, former NWA world champion. There's a And Mark Henry, future world champion as well. So you've yeah. got a lot of big names in this. It's just none of them are big at this point. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I suppose that the Christians, the Christian was world champion, TNA yeah. champion, and also ECW, Mook ECW champion as well, wasn't he? So I think I, yeah. I doubt there's too many people, if anyone else has held those, held those three illustrious titles yeah he's done the b the b level triple crown (laughs) so um next up we have a backstage interview where lillian garcia is with kurt angle um he makes it clear that he's still undefeated in wwe because on smackdown when he tagged with steve blackman it was steve blackman who got pinned against the dudley boys he says he's a bit surprised by the reception he has gotten so far from the wwe fans Um, but he's hoping here in florida which is where they are um they will um, they will be happy with him. Uh, bit of a really Kurt Angle. Yeah, yeah. Bit young, bit young, hairy-headed Kurt Angle. Bit of big spot on the side of his face, Kurt Angle as well. I don't know why they couldn't <laughs> have set the camera up on the other side. I definitely would have been asking for like, just shoot me from the. But was it Mariah Carey back in the day that I'd only have pictures on one side? I think. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, that's what Kurt Angle should have done here. <laughs> I, uh, I got me. I said I like this because he, uh, he just fell straight into that dumbass hill thing, didn't mm-hmm. he? Where he's really confused why everyone's, why not, not why everyone's booing him, but why. No one's cheering him. He's just really confused. Yeah, I thought this was really good, actually, from him. And he'd only been, how long had he been around at this point, 99? He debuted at Survivor Series. Oh, wow. I mean, this yeah, guy nice. is unbelievably polished on the mic at this point. And this is all this is all unscripted land, isn't it? He might have had a few bullet points, yeah. but this is like off the cuff, shown personally. It's incredible, really, what he was able to do in such a short amount of time. I also think that WWE deserve a little bit of credit here because they read the situation like they very rarely do. Yes. Which yeah. is that they read absolutely that if he played the white meat baby face, as would or traditionally have been the case, this is the reaction they would have got. But it would have been obviously really negative negative because yeah. he was supposed to be eliciting eliciting cheers but instead they did this kind of switch a on that a kind of twist on it and said actually we're going to present him as if we are doing that but obviously not doing it at the same time mm-hmm. so we'll elicit the booze when we are absolutely trying to do so and so i think in that respect they got this spot on when i think very often as we've seen very much over the last 20 odd years they will not get this kind of thing yeah. right no but then vince was a young younger man there was what was the early 50s um i don't know who was because i guess this is post russo and ferrara isn't it so i'm not sure who would have been the number two then there was a guy around 2000 then his name he wasn't there for too long his name escapes me but yeah i guess you've got um 
he's just got a younger Vince, haven't he? And, he, and he, he's kind of learned, but now he's in a different, it's almost like he's in a different stratosphere. So mm. they wouldn't get this guy right in 2021, no way. But they did in 99, as you said. I can I can never remember the guy's name as well, who was doing the creative after Vince Russo and Ferrara, but he yeah. does preside over what I consider the best period of WWE storylines ever. Um, and so uh, it's just about to happen. Um, is it Brian Gowertz that you're thinking of? No, it's a different guy. And I, can't, I, I honestly can't remember his name. It's really annoying. He did annoying. all 2000, didn't he? he did all yeah, and he left yeah. just yeah. after SummerSlam of 2000. Mm. Um, cool. And there was lots of, there was rumours that he'd been pushed out by Stephanie because Stephanie took over as head of creative, I think around about that point. But um, yeah, I can't remember his name. That's going to do my head in, but let's, um, let's not dwell on it for too long. Otherwise I'll be going nuts for the rest of the night. <laughs> Chris Kresge? Chris, that's it. Chris Kresge. Yeah, I would never have got that. I, I could have sat here for a thousand years and I wouldn't have got it. Um, yeah, he passed away in 2005, unfortunately. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. But a name that doesn't get the credit that he, he very much deserves. Because I, I, I agree with you. Raw in 2000 was absolutely must watch, wasn't it? That was all of my, pretty much, that's in terms of, uh, peer group that was the year I did my A-levels and um, you know most I'd say almost everyone in sixth form was watching wrestling and even and I shouldn't say even I think I might have said that on a call on, on the podcast last time with you Ben I said oh and even yes. girls are watching it yeah I've got that <laughs> clanger twice but I mean it's not you know you, we've all been to wrestling shows where there's a queue out the, around the block for the gents toilets and there's like four girls there but it was it was popular <laughs> back then and that, that guy's got a lot to you know the Stephanie Kurt Angle um, Triple H storyline was unbelievable stuff wasn't yeah. it so yeah it, if there's a big queue outside the gents um, toilets I'm, I'm not surprised that there's only four girls to be honest because what are they doing in the gents toilet queue that is true that is true oh <laughs> Come on, come look how, on. Look how pleased he is. <laughs> so, second match of the night is Kurt Angle against Steve Blackman. It is a six uh, six minute and forty two second contest, and this one ends when Angle wins with a German suplex into and um, into a bridge and gets the pin. Uh, after the match, uh, Blackman hits Angle with his are they nunchucks. I've written nunchucks. Yeah. Never yeah. really sure if that's what they're called. Uh, and um, yeah, Angle gets a little bit of a beating. Interesting here that Angle is getting the reaction we just spoke about but it's manifesting itself in boring chants and mm-hmm. they've not yet quite got to the point where they'd established exactly what they were going for I don't think I, I completely agree I think the problem here was Blackman actually in terms of the crowd wa- weren't for him enough until the post-match actually when they, they they got into it a bit more but they they were they were like well we, we can't we don't really like Angle but we're not behind this this baby face so we're just going to boo this um and, and as you say they got they got the boring chance I, I guess the highlight for me was Kurt Angle's moonsault attempt which I don't I'm not sure he's yeah. ever hit that move but that was that was pretty cracking but yeah I thought the finish was a bit bit out of nowhere and a bit bit weak really i guess he was doing the angle slam at that point but i'm not really sure why he didn't finish it with that but there we go you're not allowed to hit the the moonsault because if you don't if you hit it it won't look anywhere near as good but it looks fabulous when he does it yeah so this has got the first bit of great cherry lawler commentary where the crowd are to steven's point saying boring and um i think jr says that they're saying boring and uh king questions him and JR comes back with, uh, what is it? What, what, what do you think they're saying? Doreen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he, <laughs> King, quick, quick as a whip, just goes, well, she is here. And I was just like, that's lovely. And to be honest, that's probably the highlight of the match, apart from the moonsault attempt. Yes, agreed. I like Blackman, but like Stephen said, it just doesn't work because no one cares. 
Steve Blackmore was just a guy you could wallop some people around. Obviously, the highlight of his time in the company was when he was fighting Shane McMahon because Shane McMahon was bumping all over the place for him. And yeah, just did really well. I also didn't like the bit at the end with the nunchucks. I didn't get it. I was like, come on, Steve. You're better than that. Like, why is he wallopping him around? <laughs> is but he, it did is he better a than crowd that? He is better than that. He's one of the best, mate. Stephen, I thought I just want I want I want a witness to this. Old man has just started out going, Oh Steve Blackman, he was a bit and by the end he's telling he's the best in the world. Oh, he's not yeah, at a bottom, is he? But there we go. God. <laughs> Tell what, mate. There's one person on this show who is Adam Bomb, and okay. we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. But I'm yeah, about th- that. this was uh, to steal your favourite word from a few weeks ago, Tinky from Survivor Series 2010. This was adequate. Mm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it was adequate. And as I say, I don't think. I mean, Steve Blackman had not yet been through his hardcore Steve Blackman phase mm. by this point. So he'd been in a feud with Ken Shamrock over the summer as the heel in that feud and it was a bit nothingy because blackman didn't have really any personality and shamrock didn't really either in terms of any way in promo wise anyway and i think promos were king in 1999 so they didn't really have a lot to to keep them going but he would then go into being the hardcore steve blackman in the next kind of i think in 2000 and that was where he would reach a sort of height height of his popularity mm. not to say he was a huge star or anything but i think he would have elicited more of a reaction the following year than he does here and i think this is another for me another symptom of the leftovers of the vince russo ed ferrara time because this was still wwe constantly pushing people back face and heel constantly all the time mm-hmm. switching them back and forth at a time when they were still doing heels and faces but they were just insisting that anyone could just switch whenever they wanted to which doesn't make any sense doesn't <laughs> just doesn't feed into a, a long-term character for anybody so i think that was partially it but as i say i also don't think they fully established Kurt Angle in the exact role they wanted him to be in they were still kind of trying to I think almost trying to convince people that they were serious about him being a a sort of superhero like Mm. they were trying to make out that because I think if they went too quickly to the this is obviously you know them trying to to put a twist on it people Mm. would have cottoned on and would have probably started cheering him so I think they felt like they had to convince people a little bit which is another reason why I say I think they got it absolutely spot on next up we have got backstage someone is shown behind a screen we only see a silhouette of them it turns out that it's bb but we i didn't know this at first i had no clue who this was going to be i guessed it might be sable um all we knew from the silhouette was that they were relatively full-figured shall we say um <laughs> and we get probably one of michael cole's most amazing contributions to progress because he walks in and interviews her and she asks him to zip up and, and meanwhile he's very awkward he's forgetting his lines he's forgetting where he is he's saying things that he doesn't mean to say um and eventually just takes his leave because he's he's far far too awkward about it um thoughts on this bit oh bloody heck i mean this is like this is not 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 the great of wrestling this but it's good stuff because the <laughs> because Michael calls the fool. The lady mm. is just a very attractive woman, well being portrayed as such, and Michael calls the fool. So I kind of I kind quite like it. And it's Michael Cole. We're we're big Michael Cole guys on this pod. So he's he's so young as well, so fresh faced. <laughs> he's come so far. <laughs> I think for Stephen's benefit, I should clear up that we are quite big Michael Cole guys on the show. I think basically our our combined sort of opinion is that the guy is probably one of the more hardworking people in the business in terms of how much he does not just backstage but also on commentary he's spent the last 23 four years 
um, attempting to get better at a profession whilst people have effectively told him he's no good for all that time. Um, and he's still the, 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 the voice of WWE carries, I think, a rather um, amateur commentary team to something bearing passable. So I think I think that that's probably where we see ourselves in terms of the Michael Cole opinion. I think history will look back on Michael Cole more fondly than, especially for people that have, again, we're all getting old. I think I'm older than mm-hmm. both of you guys, but there was some, I went to a repro show last night and there's some guys in there that not, I'm looking around to kind of work out how old they were, but they're kind of probably early 20s. And I was sitting there thinking, Kaki, these guys, what would have been the year they first sort of watched wrestling? It would have been like 2009, 2010. So like... Yeah. Steve Austin's gone for six years before that, and you know all that sort of stuff. So they they, they would have they would have maybe had a little bit of Jim Ross, but Jim Ross might have been the kind of cantankerous kind of older guy that you know he, he comes along and he's gone for six months. But Michael Cole's perfectly serviceable, um, and I think it's a very difficult job he does. Th- th- talking about Michael Cole, the thing that the, the the match that makes me think of him in terms of like a really good performance is the Punk and Cena one from Money in the Bank 2011. Was that or 2011? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was the, yeah the good yeah. one, and it's like. That match is perfection, and Michael Cole, I can't, who, I can't remember who's on commentary with him, maybe Booker T, maybe Jerry Lawler, I think, from memory. Michael Cole did a perfect job there, selling the importance of that match. And you, and you, if you, if you're any old scrub, you're not, you're not, you know, you're not getting to that sort of level. So I, I, I think, good him. A level he, he reached on this night was most, most creepiest man of the world, most creepiest man of the year, 1999, because he was like, <laughs> he's never met a woman before. He was asking her questions. It just was a bit, it was a bit weird, but it was also hilarious. So I can't complain about this segment too much. Well, you're the next, uh, the next little bit is one I'm sure, Stephen, you were absolutely delighted with, were you not? Because in the yeah, in the crowds, we've got Greg Norman. But my note literally says Greg Norman at ringside has to be one of the most random things I've ever seen. Did either of you golf? Little did I know that we talk about that. We talk, had a half an hour yeah. discussion about how much we all love golf off air. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know how this. I've never seen him at any events before or since. And how, I don't know how. I mean, I guess he lived in lived in South Florida, and it was some. Yeah. Yeah, but bizarre, I thought. Well, I well, mean, wrestling was hot it, at the time, wasn't it? it was yeah, massive. it was. Yeah. So yeah. maybe he just thought, I'll go along. Perhaps he turned up for the evening gang match. Oh, this next bit is just, uh, yeah, this is quite something. I'm not sure I'd have <laughs> steal anyone's thunder here, so. Yeah. There's, no, there's no thunder to steal. I mean, this is, this is, oh, wow. I don't know what to say about it. So, yes, let's, let me let me say what happened and I'll throw it over to you guys. So we have got a evening gown pool match for the WWF Women's Championship. Fabulous Moolah and Mae Young are the special guest referees. And um, it features the champion Ivory against Miss Kitty, Jacqueline and BB in a four-way match as well. So there's a four-way evening gown pool match for the WWF Women's Championship, just to make it really, really complex. And ultimately, it ends when everybody ends up losing their evening gown, but Miss Kitty, so she wins the match. Let's let's take the match first, shall we? Then we'll go to the afters. So, old man, why don't you take the match to start with? We've got the best bit of Jim Ross's commentary on in this match, where he describes a move as a Greco-Roman zipper lock. <laughs> As uh, Miss Kitty is trying to get Ivory's dress off, which had me howling with laughter when I was watching it, because I could hear the disdain in JR's voice. I mean, this is horrendous. This is not only horrendous, but it's also quite awkward as well. Yeah. Because, like, you've got... So Jacqueline... Poor Jacqueline. I mean, poor Ivory and Jacqueline. Fucking hell. Like, oh, God. Well, they, well, they must have been thinking when they saw, when they were told they were doing this. But poor Jacqueline, one of her boobs comes out. 
And then she has to basically squirm off back, trying to cover herself while the crowd are going at King obviously reverts to type during this match. And he's full, full lech, which in fairness, 15, 16, I would have been as well at this point. But he's got about 40 years on me. And then there's the bit where BB gets eliminated. And Miss Kitty is trying to pull her bra off for, it probably lasts 15 seconds, but it felt like about a week when I was watching it. So I was like, this is so awkward. And it must have hurt as well. Talking of 15, 16-year-old you, this would have been you, the bra, when you were 15, 16-year-old, yeah. I'd imagine. I didn't get anywhere near a bra when I was 15, 16. I'm not sure no. what Charlotte had, but... If you had, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is bloody awful. It lasts, it's mercifully short. Two minutes, 53 seconds. Wow. Fills every second of it. <laughs> This this was the sort of thing that you'd be set at home watching and your mum would come in or your dad Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, old pervert's got got this on the TV again kind of thing. And that's that's what this was like. And it was it was making. And also, I'm sure you guys have this as well. But when I see something on Mid-South or something that's like, you know, not as aged very, very badly, I can feel myself sort of cringing out of my skin and thinking about having to talk about this on a podcast (laughs) later on. And this was what that was. It was just really uncomfortable. I'll tell you what I would have hated if I'd been in this match. I'm about to turn 40 and I still hate having my head underwater. I'm, I had a bad Baruch when I was a kid, didn't do much swimming lessons, unfortunately. That's what I'm, the story I'm sticking to. Um, but yeah, the head under the water, like half drowning, having to try and work a wrestling match with like water in your eyes and your nose. Horrendous. And, and the fact that this was for the all the nonsense we get about, you know, what a progressive company, you know, we're the first person to do, we're the first company to do a all women's paper, which obviously nonsense, like whatever, how many years later than this? It's like, well, guys, look at this, what you did in 1999, which is even that long ago, and just shut up, basically. So, yeah, this was this was pretty grim all around, I thought, really. Though I must say, as an 18 year old, I think I probably enjoyed this quite a bit more than I did as a 39 year old. But there we go. <laughs> you know what? I'm. I'm going to say it now. I think when I was 16, as I would have been at the time, I don't think I would have liked it much then either. Really? I'd have been okay, like, yeah. Progressive. If, if you're going to, well, no, but no, but more, if I'm honest, if you're going to do porn, do porn. I mean, what's this? Yeah. This is this is shit. This well, is I suppose, quite, I'm not saying to Jay, and perhaps I shouldn't go down this avenue, but I suppose it's, it's a very different world in 99 versus now so, in terms yeah. of, yeah, isn't it? I guess. So in the context of, I know where you're coming from, and that's exactly what it'd be like today, but in the context of what it was, hmm. this is probably titillation for quite a lot of people of our sort of age at the time, I suppose. I, I, I don't know. By 1999, we had Channel 5. We had those erotic thrillers <laughs> at 11.30 on a Friday night, and you Sneak know it. downstairs to sit, the, sit the bed, Jess. <laughs> what are you doing down there, Stephen? Oh, I'm just setting the video to record some wrestling. Awesome <laughs> <laughs> wrestling. So I just, yeah, I just, I just don't, I think that's the thing for me. Is it also, first of all, obviously, it is incredible. It's incredibly shit. It's really, really shit. It's awkward. It's embarrassing. It's degrading to the women. It's for the women's championship, which is just absolutely ridiculous. I think that's um, almost the worst bit for me. The fact it's for the ch- for the championship. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like you know, I guess you could argue that if they were doing this as a sort of, sort of separate thing that was on the side, and then they had something serious for the women's title, then it would be a little bit better. But it's it's still you know it's just awful even then, and I don't really know what else to say about it. So I will go to the uh, the post match, mm. shall I? Because we get some more of this. This isn't it yet. So Miss Kitty then grabs the microphone, having won. 
the women's championship. Jerry Lawler is very, very happy, shrieking like he always does about how excited he is. Um, And she then says that everybody came to see her get naked and she's not going to disappoint. But she has been made to wear underwear. She then takes off her dress and then also pulls off her bra, at which point Sergeant Slaughter covers her up, um, not in time. No. to actually cover up before the her breasts are indeed on the on the screen although on the WWE network they do blur them out then after that Mae Young decides to grab the microphone <laughs> and also intimates that she's uh, just as excited as uh, old Miss Kitty and then she she strips down to her underwear and luckily Sergeant Slaughter returns and covers her up as well. So uh, any analysis, any in-depth analysis you want to do on this wonderful post-match bit? So the one point I have to add, well, two actually, is Sergeant Slaughter is the real hero here, let's be <laughs> honest, because we're saved. Well, I think we're saved it going somewhere really, really awful with Miss Kitty. If he's not there with the towel, I don't know where it would have ended. And also, obviously, he saved us from seeing Mae Young naked. But the crowd pop yeah, for Kitty, this. that is why they're doing it. Yeah. Because it's the loudest pop on the show by a million miles, I reckon. If it's decibels, by at least whatever a decibel is, at least nine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll tell you what was probably the second biggest pop was Mae Young. When, it, when she's yeah. The, yeah, the crowd, I don't know. I mean, I guess there might have been some, some niche stuff in, in South Florida in 99, but the crowd erupted when she started doing what she yeah. was doing. I just like, you've just watched Kurt Angle, an Olympic champion, and you're chanting boring. There's this old lady that wants to strip for you, and you're like, yes, <laughs> come on. This is what I came here for. It's what I bought a ticket for. Bizarre, but there we go. 99 WRF. Magnificent stuff. Absolutely <laughs> magnificent. Um, you're right, though. And of course, Sergeant Slaughter wasn't the saviour in the longer run because all he did was delay the inevitable. Yeah. Because it's the following month that Mae Young does a, well, what she does there. Channel so, 4 got some good luck with these two shows, didn't they? Because I think Armageddon 99 was on Channel 4 and so was the Rumble in 2000 yeah. and they got these two think- incidents. I don't think this was. Oh, was this not? Okay. I was so I think not. Rumble okay. was the first one. The Rumble 2000 ah, was the first okay. one. So maybe they, I'll be getting two, 2000 might have been then. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah they, okay. they had four pay-per-views for two years and it was the Rumble, Armageddon and two of the other in your house. I call them in your house still, even to this day. But the non-Big Five. Yeah, Backlash was one, wasn't it? Yeah, That's Maybe right. the July yeah. one, I think. Yeah. Probably. And so, yeah, they did, didn't have this one, but they did start with <laughs> Rumble, which didn't just have the Mae Young incident. It also had the horrendously violent um, street fights as well. Yes. So they got a lot of um, complaints, apparently, about those two things. So uh, we have got Kevin Kelly backstage next up with Rikishi Fatu, who's only just been reintroduced to WWE television. Um, he interviews uh, Rikishi about the match that he's got coming up between himself and Viscera against the Holly Cousins. He then recites a poem that's what i've written he writes recites a poem didn't want to write it all down he says he represents all the healthy fat people out there he also says that viscera viscera better have his back not the most expert of <laughs> of, of introductions this i was a bit like obviously rikishi went on to be quite an overact in fairness but i'm not really sure what they were going for off the bat here big shout out to fat healthy people i suppose <laughs> that, I don't, yeah. uh, other than that yeah and also like the tonal switch is quite something to go from paratits, almost another paratits, to then Rikishi trying to be quite serious with Kevin Kelly. And it's a bit like, I'm not really sure about this. And also, I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> I've got to be honest, like, this isn't the Rikishi I want. No. We get, we, we get the Rikishi that people enjoy. I'd say one, that people enjoy. Not a million miles after this. 
but this isn't what I want. A poor Kevin Kelly. Well, the um, this was you remember, old man. We talked about the head shrinkers. I think it was actually we spoke, mm. spoke about Fatu on uh the podcast a few week a few weeks back and i said that rikishi was on the payroll of wwe yeah for forever so like he had been at this point on the payroll of wwe since the head shrinkers days and he had obviously disappeared he'd become street fatu um like positive role model fatu mm. that they had and then he disappeared then he became the sultan for a small period of time then he wasn't on television for basically two years and then he'd returned in this in this role and i don't know I, I don't know why i don't know why like i'm not saying fatu was ever a bad wrestler actually, i actually always quite liked him but it's it's bizarre that they'd have a guy on the payroll for such a long time and not do anything with him it was really weird when he turned up as well here i was like is this a different person i remember when i first saw rikishi on television i was like is this a is this fatu because he looks like him but he, they're much they're concentrating much more on how big he is and he's obviously mm. bigger than he was during the because it was quite the quite a strange thing for me I, I found yeah and also like he's, he's not the best is he like anyway like he's one of those people that fair play to him like oh you had midian as well was one of these where they just kept plugging away they were like no no we'll repackage him we'll be all right it'll be all right in the end and to be fair to rikishi he's in the hall of fame now which That's is true. quite incredible yeah. And he's probably he's probably still getting paid by the company. I bet he's on a Legends deal as well. Probably. Beautiful. Well done, Rikishi. <laughs> so that match is next. It's the Holly Cousins versus Rikishi and Viscera. Uh, a clash of the super heavyweights, if ever there was one. It's a match that only goes for four and a half minutes. And it ends when um, Hardcore grabs Rikishi from behind. Uh, Viscera tries to hit uh, Hardcore Holly with the spinning arse kick, but misses <laughs> and gets Rikishi instead. Uh, then Hardcore pins Rikishi. Uh, I've, I'm going to continue to call it that because that's why I started calling it a few <laughs> weeks back. Stephen, your thoughts on this one? This classic? I mean, this was... I'm just going to preface what I'm going to say that I looked up the Observer and Dave Meltzer gave this minus one star. And I think that was probably generous. Um, <laughs> the Hollies were absolutely jacked to the gills uh, and clearly Titan Sports protein shakes were particularly strong in this year. Um, Bissera, they were, they were on Ico Pro, mate. They were on Ico Pro. Oh, yeah. Of course they were. Yeah, nothing, nothing, else, nothing else going on there. But Ico Pro and hard training. Um, Viscera didn't want to tag in earlier on. I never, I never understand this because if we're to believe this is a sport and the winners get paid more money, why would you not be supportive of your partner? I hate, I hate that spot so much. I also thought Viscera must have been very hot in his outfit with Aww. that kind of PVC jacket. Um, yeah, not great. And they beat Rikishi, and he was the best thing in the match. I just didn't really understand it. And it was, they all fought afterwards. No one cared. This was a, an just an atrocious wrestling match it's about three steps up from the last one <laughs> that is true <laughs> only three i mean <laughs> well trouble is you you only get one pair of tits in this one um the only thing i have to add to what steven said i think he summed it up very beautifully is that i always loved viscera's music it's just nothing the music don't know why always really liked it isn't it just drums no it's just like um i can't think how it goes now it's like a really slow tempo hip-hop beat yeah and then it was he kind of carried it through and he when he was the world's largest love machine it just said (laughs) the world's largest love machine at the start and then was the same music (laughs) just love that consistency i've forgotten that gimmick but i'm glad that i've now remembered it yeah thank you (laughs) he he come down in a velour tracksuit which must have been as hot as this pvc coat which is why is he wearing that <laughs> is he trying um, to lose weight while is it like like it like a ufc oh, yeah. weight, perhaps, but <laughs> he's not gonna lose much weight in four minutes 23 in a tag match is he unfortunately well, well especially if he won't tag in 
No, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> what do you say about it? It's fucking terrible, isn't it? It's just, just like, <laughs> and and the thing is, is like, I was I was get I got to this point, I was like, oh damn it, man, Stephen's right. This is gonna be fucking terrible, this show, <laughs> because we've had four matches. We've had a battle royal, which, as old man says, battle royal speak for themselves most of the time. We've had a kind of okay Kurt Angle match, but it's as I said, they haven't quite fully established what they're trying to do with him yet. Then you've had the evening gown pool match. And then you've had this and you're like, oh, what, how how they are rewarding their fans for buying this pay-per-view. <laughs> it really it really are rewarding them with this. Uh, that's, uh, impressive. that's the thing, isn't it? People are paying probably $50 for this in America. Yeah. You imagine like you're one of these people and it falls on a Sunday and you say to your mates, oh, you fancy Armageddon? No, I can't. Sorry. So your usual crew can't do it. Uh, you know what? I'll fork out the 50. It'll be worth it. It's going to be a good show. <laughs> Didn't see the change. Unfortunately, that was a visual um, transition that old man made uh, for a podcast. So you'll you'll not understand what he did. All I'll say is that his his face dropped effectively. Mm. Um, That was about it. So let's push ahead and do one more match before we take a break. Um, But before that, backstage, Lillian Garcia interviews Val Venus. Yes. Venus says he's proven before he can win a title, says he's going to do it again tonight and win the European Championship. Afterwards, he's going to fly across to Europe and find the most beautiful women there are. And he says he's going to prove to them why he is both the Eiffel Tower and the Tower of London. Is that right? Or Big Ben. Big Ben. Sorry. Yeah, Big Ben. Come on, mate. So, so I mean, I, could, I didn't have it word for word written down <laughs> on my notes. And to be honest, it's, it's all there, mate. It, <laughs> well, I, you should have. Sorry, I should have let you recite it back. Yeah, it's beautiful stuff. And then he speaks a bit of Spanish. Lovely old job. God, he's a yeah. Tell you what, this guy. It's got it all. This Spanish, I'm assuming, was from his time when he was wrestling in Mexico because he was yeah. he did do quite a bit of work in Mexico, didn't he, before WWF? Yeah, he was he was at Valo Venuso, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> El, Va- El Valo Venuso. Oh yeah, sorry. He, whatever he said in Spanish seemed to work on Lillian because she was just all yeah. over this, wasn't she? Cocky, what yeah, l- yeah. absolute Lothario. Tell what did make me think, right? So they're always going on about his big chopper, old Val Venus. I hope for a sake he had one. Well, has one. Because you imagine you're there after the show, and they're like, there's that bloody porn star guy. And they get him back, and they're like, oh, I was expecting, <laughs> oh, I was expecting bigger. He's not living his, not living his gimmick, then, potentially, <laughs> there, yeah. No, yeah, well, I hope so. So the match itself is a triple threat match for that European Championship. It is contested between the champion, Davy Boy Smith, Val Venus and D'Lo Brown. European Championship on the line. Mean Street Posse originally accompanied Davy Boy Smith to the ring, but Teddy Long, the referee, sends the Mean Street Posse back to the backstage before the match. The end comes when Brown hits Davy Boy Smith with a frog splash, but Venus then hits Brown with the money shot as Brown goes for the cover, and then Venus pins Davy Boy Smith to become the new champion. Old man, I'm going to hand over to you, seeing as this is obviously Val Venus territory. Oh, this. Well, I mean, we start off hot. You've got Dilo Brown's great music, or Val Venus's great music. Val Venus in a black towel, which <laughs> is a bit of a bit of a change up, but kind of gets away with it. Um, this. Oh, God, I can't be honest. Like, you know, I'm a big fan. This is crap. <laughs> this is really crap because Davy Boy, I know there's like, there's been all kinds of stuff said about the conditions that he wrestled in previously. Like, there's a story about 92 SummerSlam where he's allegedly, he looks completely out of it here and it's quite sad. So he spends most of his time just outside the ring. He comes in, botches a few moves and then goes back outside the ring again. Then comes back in and it's just really botchy clunky unpleasant to watch but it's the best match so far 
which is unbelievable. I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, this is a bit, this is a bit crap. Like, this ain't very good. And then I, at the end, I was like, I wrote me a little summary and I was like, best match so far. And it is by quite a distance, to be honest. I love the end. That's one thing I love the end because you get to see Lilo Brown's incredible frog splash and then the money shot from Val Venus. Oh, my God. And which is why David Boy Smith led there in some drug induced coma. Oh, job. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> Um, the finish was good, but the rest of this was just, uh, I just, I've got a couple of questions or a question and a couple of points. The title itself never made any sense to me. Why is there a European championship in a company that was in Europe once or twice a year at this point? I don't understand it. Where's the South American title and the African champion as well? Because it makes no sense. I don't, I didn't get it then and I don't get it now. Why was that a thing? Bulldog's music was dreadful. The, just the absolute pits. And this is a sort, of, a sort of dirge I can imagine, like a miserable bunch of kids who are really mad at their parents for no reasonable reasons. Probably had a lovely, uh, lovely upbringing playing this sort of rubbish like being really depressed and down in the dumps in their in their garage of their eight bedroom house somewhere so yeah it's not not good i thought Dilo brown looked in the best shape i've ever can remember him again probably tyson sports protein shakes uh, and, and finally because you covered off the, the, the botches and stuff already i always felt very appreciated when jr said thank you very much the fans in the uk staying up late with us as if that was like yeah. a personal message for me so, yeah, that was probably the highlight of the match, I think, when you said that. <laughs> oh, and Mel also gave it minus half a star. There you go. Yeah, it's not. It's it's really bad. It is. This is, I think, three men who have, I hate to say this, old man, but have already peaked. I, I, I really, like, I know that sounds right. I mean, Bulldog obviously had already peaked. He'd been a major star at one point. At, by this point, he means pretty much nothing. He's not with WWE for very much longer after this, I don't believe. Um, And you're right, the Mean Street Posse Association barely remember it the only thing i can remember it for was the most that i think it was no mercy no it wasn't no mercy it might have been it was whatever the uk the second uk pay-per-view was of 99 which i can't remember the name of is it is it is it rebellion the second uk pay-per-view of 99 yeah so they, they rebellion, did yeah Birmingham. yeah yeah well, that's right. That makes sense. And he threw a dustbin across the room and it hit Stephanie. And he they basically turned him heel in the UK, which if you're signing David Boy Smith, really the main reason to do that is to have him as a big star in the UK. <laughs> rather, And instead they decided to just turn him heel. It was a bit ridiculous. He'd obviously been brought back as well, or at least allegedly been brought back as well, because if it, the WWE seemed to feel like that would curry them favor in terms of the the lawsuit that martha was trying to file against them as a consequence of the wrongful death lawsuit that um she was trying to bring because of owen hart's death but in fairness to david boy smith he had been effectively just thrown away like some used tissue by wcw so i didn't have any problem with him going back quite frankly because what you're going to do he's been he's out of work he's basically suffered a I think it was a staff infection that almost ended his career effectively. And uh, they they released him. So when WWF picked him up, I, you can't really blame him for that, quite Completely frankly. agree. You've got to look after yourself, haven't you? You know, who else is, I mean, as much as I love Brett, Brett wasn't going to be paying him six figures. He's probably got a big house, big mortgage, kids. Exactly. Yeah, completely agree. And then, yeah, Val Venus, like they had tried earlier this year to make him almost uh, try to bridge him up to a main event style position. Like he'd had a bit of a feud with Mankind and it just it just hadn't worked. He just didn't make it. And he would he'd kind of turn him heel. They turn him babyface. No idea who's supposed to be the babyface in his match, by the way. Not, no clue, really. No. Um, and D-Lo, this is obviously post um, what happened with Droz as well. Mm-hmm. So he's now just 
first of all, I think possibly lost the step of confidence and also has probably been booked down as a consequence of what happened as well. So it's just three guys that are just, they're not really, they're no longer on an upward trajectory. And Delo in particular had only very recently been on that upward trajectory, but was now kind of falling back down and never would hit the height again. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a whole bit sad. It's just a whole bit sad, this match. There is one moment where they botch a double hip toss yeah. so yeah. badly that you're just like, oh God, come on guys, Let's you, wrap you, it up you, and go home. You can hear Delo, and I think that maybe this plays into what you said about, you know, the, the Jaws thing. You can hear him say, are you all right to the Bulldog when time almost mm. stood still? Um, but, and, and then just after that, he did a sunset bomb, which I thought, crikey, I, I'm not sure I'd want to be trying that after everything else has gone wrong. Because they just seemed like they had, the guys had negative chemistry. As you say, Bulldog, I don't know what quite what was going on here, whether his whatever it was, substances or just his body wasn't up to it. But he didn't even look right walking, even down to the ring, yeah. he didn't look quite right. So, yeah, very sad. Well, to be fair, it's not all bad, lads, because it does bring us to our Tyron Faxton of the Week. So on April the 5th, 2019, Val Venus competed in what to this day, still time, is his last wrestling match at WrestleCon, Joey Ryan's penis party. He was in a match, a six-person tag match, with Joey Ryan, Sexy Eddie, and Val Venus. They were defeated by Martina, Priscilla Kelly, and Scarlett Bordeaux. Tyron Faxton of the Week. Wow. There, there are very few more problematic teams that would include today's yes. Val Venus and Joey Ryan on the Yeah. Mm. I, when I read that earlier, I couldn't believe my luck and I couldn't believe that those two men were allowed in the same ring with three women, to be brutally honest, given yeah. their horrendous reputations. This was prior to Joey Ryan's kind of yeah exposed. It, yeah, twenty nineteen. It's twenty twenty it all came out, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a good place for us to take a quick break. Um and we'll be back in just a moment uh, when we'll have more. Then we'll have obviously the five main matches of the show. A new women's champion and a wild scene poolside. But backstage is Rikishi Fought Two. Later on tonight, you and Viscera team up against the Hollies. And in action that we saw earlier tonight on Sunday Night Heat. The Hollies in their weigh-in ceremony. Rikishi, you saw this as your opportunity to go after the men that have attacked you on a number of occasions as of late. Now, it got wild and out of control on Sunday Night Heat, and I'm sure that when the tag team match gets underway here at Armageddon, the results could even be worse for the Hollies. The question that I have for you, sir, is why do you think the Hollies have such a problem with you? Hickory dickory dot. Rikishi finally talks. Bob Holly, crash. Watch out for the Rakishi drop. And it goes like this, boys. For the last week or so since Rakishi has hit the World Wrestling Federation, you decide to jump on the newcomer. Well, check these out, punks. When Rakishi gets his hands on you two fools, Armageddon just might be your last day because while you out there making fun of all you want to call the fat people in the world, well, I represent all them fat, healthy people out there in the world. Your ass is mine. My ass on top of your face when I'm through with it. Your thoughts about your tag team partner tonight, Viscera. Viscera, I got one thing to say to you, brother. You better be ready and you better have my back like I got your back. I've been working. 
Right then, welcome back. Now we have got five more matches, as I said, uh, before the break to go. And um, we start, though, for the second half of the show with a back, another backstage interview featuring Michael Cole, this time with X-Pac. Um, we, we are told that Kane has demanded a cage match against X-Pac tonight, but X-Pac has also asked for some special stipulations. Firstly, that Kane can only win by, by pinfall, and secondly, X-Pac can win either by pinfall or by climbing over the top and escaping. He said that the door will be locked. X-Pac then also tells Kane to tell his woman, Tori, to stop calling his hotel room at all hours of the night. It's pretty crapness. But the thing I did appreciate is that it told me the stupid rules of the cage match that will be of no consequence. At least we got an explanation of what they were, which very often yes. when they're stupid rules, they don't even explain it. No, yeah. Mm. I thought, why does X-Pac need a hat and a headband? Surely <laughs> a hat is doing the job that both would do, I guess. Mm. It's a terrible hat as well. Yeah. The old DX bucket hat. It's not great. It's the kind of thing that would make me look like a complete arsehole. Kid, kid on a four-year-old kid on a beach is acceptable to wear that. It's sunburn, but expat with that and a headband, not not a good look. Yeah, I think this wasn't great, was it? But then what on this show has been really? But, but it's all right. It's not going to go uphill for me because this cage match is going to be a five-star classic now, isn't it? Well, this interview very much reminded me of the we've seen an X Pac game match before on this podcast. We saw it in No Way Out 2000, um, way back in February when we we um, reviewed that show, and this is actually part of this same feud, of course. And he does an interview, a pre-match interview on that one as well. And I, from my memory as well, that was pretty poor as well. I, I'm it's just not his skill. Ultimately, I don't think yeah. he's talking on the mic, and he's pretty much carrying this feud as well on the mic because Kane still doesn't really talk. Um, so. Yeah, and it went on forever. This feud went yeah. on forever at the time. I think this is already the second pay-per-view they've had a match at. And as I just said, they go to at least February the following year um, in matches with one another. The cage match on this show, which is uh, nine minutes in length in the end, ends with a lot of stuff going on. Sometimes I start to look through my notes at this point and go, can I even be bothered to figure out where I need to start in my notes <laughs> to run down this end? So let me let me just figure out if I if I can. So basically, there is a tilt a whirl backbreaker by Kane just as he seems to be getting control of the match. The New Age Outlaws arrive with bolt cutters and open the cage door. Billy Gunn then slams the cage door in Kane's head and then shoves a steel chair into the ring. X-Pac hits an X-Factor on the chair on Kane. He then handcuffs Kane to the cage and hits Kane with the chair um, in the head twice. Tori then jumps in the ring, but X-Pac spits in her face and hits her with an X-Factor. X-Pac then tries to hit Kane with the chair again, but Kane boots it into his face. X-Pac then tries to escape the cage, but Kane manages to free himself, catches X-Pac before he can hit the floor because he's come outside the ring to catch him, um, and then throws X-Pac back into, into the cage door. He hits a flying clothesline from the top of the cage, which is pretty spectacular, and then hits a tombstone on X-Pac to pin him and win the match. So I did manage to get through it, but I didn't think I would for a minute there. Well, I'm thinking. <laughs> Stephen, your thoughts on this one? You, you said suggested it might be a classic, so... Do you know what? I, don't, I, didn't, I, 
I did watch this, but I didn't even write in my notes who won. So I was, like, I was actually, I was actually wondering. I was thinking X Pac must win this to continue the feud, but obviously you've now informed me that he didn't. Um, I thought, I thought my sort of closing note. I thought this was pretty poor again. I thought they were wrestling largely in slow motion. I thought the crowd wanted to be literally anywhere other than sitting in this arena and watching this pay per view. <laughs> Um, I thought that the King had some, you know, relatively unsavoury things to say about Tory and, and also in terms of sort of uh, being fond of some of the, the unsavoury stuff that the X-Pac did. Um, but, yeah, it was just the thing that I was going to say is Kane, Kane climbed up the cage on the outside. And I thought that's no mean feat for someone that yeah. he's I mean, I don't know how old he was there, so say 30, but he was probably a legit 230 pounds, 240 pounds, wasn't he? I don't think I could have done that in my absolute fittest in my teens or 20s. And I certainly couldn't bloody do it now. So I think that's probably the most impressive thing mm. of the whole 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 match, I would say. Oh, and also King saying that Kane didn't have size and strength everywhere. And basically talking about his penis, um, which was uh, which was also a great line. So, oh, that's yeah. what he was talking about. God, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and um, JR then says, King, will you stop talking about King's penis? And it pops. King. Yeah, it does. Because <laughs> he's like, JR, he's a penis. He's like a little kid. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That's the highlight of the match. Cause this is, like Steve said, the main note that I've got is impressed with King's climbing of the cage. Genuinely, really impressed. There's a couple of uh, nasty chair shots that you mentioned, Tinky, that are unprotected, which are very nice. But it's also kind of counteractive with they do the cage door slam into their head where it's just into like this mesh fencing. And it's like, well, it doesn't look like it hurts. I don't want anyone to take a massive whack to the head with a steel pipe, but don't do that because it looks crap. It just looks really crap. And then like Kane was selling it. Kane's a massive man. He don't want to be selling that nonsense. Apart from the... uh, Clothesline from the top of the cage. This is absolute dog dirt, to be honest. Mm. Like, yeah, they, uh, to be honest, I'd be a bit annoyed if one of my parents' dogs did a dirt this bad. <laughs> yeah, what can I say? I do agree with you. I think it's one of those things where, and I've talked about this before, WWE just, when you're thinking about splitting up a tag team, just yeah. don't, just don't yeah. do it. <laughs> because you very rarely get anything good out of it. And then, to be honest, this as as their kind of oddball tag team, they were really over in 1999, x Pack mm-hmm. and Kane. Absolutely no need to split them up for this feud, which goes on too long. This is probably their second match. It's not very good. The story ends up with Tori turning against Kane and joining x Pack, which just, you know, further just is disappointing and... and it's not. I, get, I think the other thing is WWF, probably wrestling in general, to be honest, very often shies away from the romantic ending or the happy ending. Mm-hmm. And there's no need to. Sometimes it's far more valuable to just have that storybook ending. And I think if Kane and Tori had had their relationship and then for whatever reason later on, they'd have just written it out of the storyline, that would have been fine. But to have it where she has to turn against them is just so unnecessary. And like, I, you know, even even now, <laughs> 20 odd years re- removed from this, I'm still a little bit like, oh, well, that was just stupid. Why do that? It's just yeah. a shame. I mean, that's a really interesting point about the, the you never get a good. The only one I can think of, which is also the, the greatest moment in the history of professional wrestling, is when Randy Savage and Elizabeth reunited at WrestleMania 7. <laughs> but apart from that, I can't think of a single storyline like that. When you think about the movies and, and television shows, 
more often than not, that's where you get to, isn't it? Whether it's Zach and Kelly and Saved by the Bell eventually get married oh, in the yes. excellent wedding in Las Vegas or something like that. But you're right. You never get that in wrestling. And I think you're missing a trick there. Just let the people have what they want sometimes. But I think that's a, that's a big WWF-ism and even more so later than this, I think, in terms of, you know, hometown people getting beaten and such like. Just let us have... You know, you could have you could have had a lovely little wedding with Kane and, uh, and yeah. Tori, couldn't you? Yeah, he gets the old voice thing out and talks with that, saying oh, I do and stuff. Would have been great, but alas, not to be. I um I love that your your example was saved by the bell. Yeah. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful any, stuff. Any number of things you could have you could know yeah. saved by the bell. Um, Zach and Kelly, it's all about them. But no, I think I don't think it's just romance storylines over though. I think it's just generally wrestling mm-hmm. doesn't do enough where it delivers the result people want to see. Yeah. Yeah. They're too concerned with the, the swerve or the surprise, and they don't often enough go to people just want to see this. People just want this guy to win, or they want these two people to win, or they want these two people to come together, whatever. Just deliver it. Like, there's nothing wrong yeah. with not surprising your audience all the time. And that's, as we spoke about before, that's why Hogan and Austin were so popular, is that they won nearly every match, and people wanted them to win yes. every match. Yeah. And so. People had comfort knowing they were going to buy the pay-per-view, see their guy win. And that's why the Austin term was so bad, because people in that feud with him coming back, they wanted Austin to beat The Rock. And then they then they, they turned him and then they got another chance to get him back as a babyface. They did the, the second biggest, uh, they did the biggest non-WrestleMania pay-per-view. I'm still annoyed about this. What is it? Nine, uh, 20 years later, <laughs> uh, I'm absolutely fuming. I watched it in a caravan with my then-girlfriend in Bognor. I couldn't believe it. It ruined the rest of the holiday. But literally, <laughs> they turned Steve Austin. You got this huge... I mean, I didn't know about the buy rate, but huge interest, massive pop and roll. They bloody turned him again, killed the angle, killed the attitude era, all because they wanted Steve Austin as a heel when it wasn't his time. So he, may have, he may have been gone heel in 2002 or 2003 because the crowd might have... I mean, he might have been finished in 2003, but um, the crowd might have started... You've got, you, give, you turn them heel like they did with Hogan. Turn them heel when... Um, you know when the crowd is getting on their backs and it's it's switching don't don't make don't try and manufacture that I think that's right and I think what you said about Brian Danielson um, Ben on, on Twitter was right they've manufactured that and they've gone too far too early on it because sorry I'm talking about modern wrestling here so it's probably a bit of a faux pas on this in this show isn't it but I'll <laughs> go right. I'll go with it just very quickly but they're manufacturing it because they just happen to be in a position where they, ha- they haven't got another heel they can push mm-hmm. but the best heel turns are, are um, organic and come out of uh, you know come out of something rather than just being or you know this you know this person's you know white knight this week but actually now now we're turning them so yeah it just doesn't it didn't work for me Kike, i don't know how we got on that tangent there so apologies no it's fine i mean i go i go as far to say that it's not even that it's the best turns i think it's damn right insulting that they the wrestling insists on turning people out of nowhere i i, yeah. I just mm. no other drama or uh, or kind of scripted anything anywhere in the world would get away with doing it and I, yeah. it annoys me that wrestling thinks it can get away with doing it and nearly on a monthly basis i think it's just mm. it's, i think it's bad i think it's really really bad you think about a drama you might have watched walking dead for i don't know how many series that thing's going on for now but you might have watched the first six series but then you've given up after six years but we've all not given up watching wrestling for Crikey, I've been watching wrestling for over 30 years now, which makes me horrified, really. But <laughs> you think about all of the all of the knowledge and all the things that you've seen, and no one's sticking with anything else that long. And actually, most wrestling fans are not new fans. You might have had a period where you, as you said, kind of went dark on it for a bit, but you you've been there, seen that, got the t-shirt. Especially WWE, you think they're like NXTs, their average viewers in their 60s, I think. So 
they're the only people that haven't worked out that actually there's Netflix and YouTube and a whole lot of stuff that you can watch that's not WWE. So don't use the lazy, oh, it's only wrestling, so we're not going to do it in a, in a proper way, which is I think they get they, they just do too much. And it's not just yeah. WWE, it's everyone. It's just got to mean something, hasn't it? You've yeah. got to be annoyed. when that, And also it's got to mean something, I think, to both your point, like it's got to mean something for the wrestler as well to turn heel. Like when Seth Rollins turned on The Shield, way back when like that meant something because he was siding with someone that was going to take him to the to the next level and it meant something to the other guys because they were brothers well brothers in inverted commas yeah bloody shit in it sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i just yeah i and i don't want to i don't want to labor the point too much but i also think that it's so important to your long-term investment watching a show like if you mm. watched i don't know walking dead like for example and you took andrew lincoln's character who is the main character rick grimes in it and you turned him bad guy and then good guy and then bad guy people would just mm. leave the show because they yeah. wouldn't they're trying you want people to invest an emotion in something but they they learn not to do that they learn to go you know what everyone's going to disappoint me in the end so i'm just not going to do that that's what's happened in wwe is that now everybody's learned that it doesn't matter who's portrayed as a good guy or a bad guy tomorrow or today in six months time they're going to be something else anyway so i may as well choose for myself who i like and never play along with what wwe want to do and so they've learned to basically make their own narratives out of what the wwe does and in some ways i think that's why wwe don't even bother with the narrative they don't even bother with the storyline most of the time as we saw the survivor series that happened recently so back to this show no we don't know no don't worry about (laughs) it it's all right (laughs) back to this show there is a music video next which promotes the match between china and chris jericho uh this is not on the same level as the magnum um ta uh video that we watched last week at starcade 86 but it it does build to at least this intercontinental title match but old man you're shaking your head What's, what's the problem it's fucking weird (laughs) <laughs> they, they, because there's nothing about the feud it was weird yeah it's just the bits about jericho and then the bits about china there's a like, oh, okay so is that it are we not going to get any intro to the feud and it just kind of made me think i was like was there actually a feud i'm still not really sure to be honest and i watched the match <laughs> i'm not really sure who i'm supposed to be cheering for either i was very confused about that in this match in particular i was like i'm guessing jericho's the heel but i don't actually know because no one cares yeah, I think Jericho's a tweener at this point. I think this is his last kind of tweener. I think he goes face soon afterwards. But China mm. was the China was the babyface here. Yeah. Yeah, she'd come off of beating Jeff Jarrett for the Intercontinental Title. Good. When when Jeff Jarrett held the company up for a ridiculous amount of money when he jumped to WCW and still had the Intercontinental Title belt. So China was the babyface. They had a match of Survivor Series, which I remember quite vividly actually. I think it includes a pedigree off the top rope from my memory by Ooh. china and i always remember liking it i remember remember liking that match at survivor series but it also it was kind of this was what three four months after jericho had arrived in wwf yeah, and four months it had not really gone to plan i think he'd started brilliantly obviously interrupting the rock and that brilliant countdown to the millennium stuff that he did but then it'd gone a bit awry he'd had a poor match with x-pac he'd had and then he was sort of in this feud with china and uh yeah that was where he was at this point it's not great so I uh, actually just as we started recording, I meant to look it up earlier. I looked up when he debuted and it's pretty much four months to the day. And I was like, fuck. I've read his um his books and he, he says he's like, it was all just like he was just all of a sudden he was in a feud with China. And I know it's for the second biggest title in the company. But still, it's like bloody hell. And then you watch it and you're like, fuck me. Jesus. Yeah, I- 
I've never this might stand you rigid or ma'am I've never read a Chris Jericho book and I think it ah. might bound up in the fact that I just don't I've just never really appreciated him as much as most people seem to um right you hate him don't you well, I don't hate him but I just think he's really over regarded mainly by himself mm. but also by lots of other people as well that's just my own personal view on Chris Jericho so the match itself 10 minutes and 20 seconds long um Jericho <laughs> puts on the walls of Jericho and China taps out to win the match and takes the Intercontinental title. China obviously defending in this one. Um, Stephen, your thoughts? Do you know what? I think I might be on an island by myself here. I thought this was quite good. I actually genuinely thought this was quite good. There was a couple of really good near falls in this um, after China closed on a Jericho backslide um, and China falling on Jericho after a back suplex attempt. And they were, uh, you know, between the, the two of them and the referee, I thought they they nailed that. I thought China was better than I remembered, actually, though. I thought she looked really gassed after about five minutes or halfway through. Um, but I, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this. I think I think I thought this was going to be I thought this was going to be absolutely awful, even worse than everything that we'd seen already. And actually, I thought this was pretty serviceable. Um and, I, and as I said, I thought China was far more solid than I can remember her. And I thought this was match of the night by a light year over everything else so far. But I, I'm getting the impression I might be by myself in that opinion. Um, so the things that I like, I like Jericho's really laying it in, like mm. really properly giving it some. And I think my problem is, is that his stuff looks like it hurts. China's looks like she's trying to place a kitten. <laughs> on the floor i know i was never a big fan of her forearm mm. moves because they look pretty dreadful and i just it didn't work for me i liked jericho working over the thumb for a little bit i enjoyed that when he had a um stuck in the ropes i quite enjoyed that he dropped drop kicks her thumb which uh jr points out that he's never expected to say i think um to be honest i think without the unique selling point of this being a man against a woman this is pretty bloody awful. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was pretty dismal stuff. And it's like he's laying it in, but it's classic sloppy Jericho. There's just little bits in the match. Admittedly, he's not helped that much by China, who's still like inexperienced at this point. So it's not really fair to be too critical of her or him, but I'm going to anyway, because it's just really sloppy and. I just didn't enjoy it. I also never, I never enjoyed China wrestling at all. Because I didn't think she was very good. I mainly as a women's wrestler, she was largely fighting people who don't wrestle, apart from a couple of people. But yeah, no, not for me. Sorry. Well, old man, you're outvoted because I agree with Steve on this one. Oh, wow. Um, oh, yeah, I, good lads. Well, I said, I saw the Survivor Series match. I remember the Survivor Series match from this same year, the match they had previously. And I remember really liking it at the time. Mm. I remember being disappointed by this one when I watched it at the time because it wasn't as good as that match. But watching it now, I was like, still good, still good. I still think yeah. this is, this holds up. And I thought the thing that I got out of it actually was frustration really with the WWE fans because they are, some of them anyway, are booing China because she's a woman yeah. and she's wrestling a man and she's yeah. wrestling for a man's title. But I thought in my mind, I was like, look, even if you were really chauvinist and you were, you know, whatever, I think they've done a job and China's done a job over the previous two years that you can absolutely buy her being able to compete 
with someone who looks like Chris Jericho or you know someone of the size of Chris Jericho. It's not like he's the Rock who's six foot one and two hundred and eighty pounds or whatever. It's not like he's it's not like she's fighting Kane. She's fighting Chris Jericho, who ultimately would was able to qualify as a cruiserweight in WCW. Like is she she's wrestling someone about the same size as her. You have established that she can beat up men. You've been doing that for the last two years. I don't understand what your problem is, fans. I don't get what your problem with this is. And I agree. I think China's better than I can remember yeah if, if you said the word china and said you know well how what did you think of her as a wrestler i wouldn't be that impressed but having watched this i was like actually not bad it's really not bad i i think the problem is some both of their strikes i just don't you know i, I i've said before i think chris jericho strikes are sometimes really poor and in this there's a couple of times i find his strikes to be really poor but i also think hers is hers are as well but other than that they build quite a dramatic finish there's emotion in it people want to see a winner okay i, I think partially they they want to see the winner that the wwe don't intend them to want to see but mm. i yeah i appreciate this quite a bit in a weird sort of way i thought i think that this feud with jericho really helped him become a babyface, probably unintentionally, because of exactly what you said. And I remember that Survivor Series match. And I remember, the, was the crowd hotter in that one than this? Yeah, from memory? So. Yeah, they were, weren't they? And they were really for Jericho as well, weren't they, I think, from memory. Um, and I think exactly, exactly that. The crowd were like, we've got a woman being pushed as a babyface here with Intercontinental Champion. We don't like that. We're going to cheer the man here because we want Chris Jericho to win and restore the Intercontinental title as he says in his later promo and I think actually the, they probably got more behind Jericho than they would have done because Jericho was kind of in a, in a bit of a bad situation there and as a result of that the company like well they're, they're getting behind him now we've got to turn him face and I think that I think this this night with the with the, the promo afterwards that's it I think that's the line for Jericho I'm pretty sure after that he's feuding with heels straight away and then there's the triple threat I think uh, is it triple threat at Royal Rumble or is it, the, is it with Chris Benoit? I can't remember where they go, but it's, it's he's basically involved with Benoit and Angle after this, isn't yeah. he? So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, he gets really lucky that his mates all turn up, basically, yeah, in about does. two months two months later. Yes. And, they, you know, yeah. and then he's wrestling all them guys. So he, I think he did get really quite lucky at that point. But mm. the other weird thing they do with this feud, so after the match, Chris Jericho is interviewed by Michael Cole. And as you said, he's saying he's going to restore the Intercontinental title to its former um, greatness. China then sort of interrupts and shakes his hand and says that she was the better wrestler on the night of Survivor Series. And now he's been the better wrestler here. And what this leads to is a really odd period where the two of them are actually together as a team. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. not like, they're not like a, a romantic couple, but they actually co-hold the Intercontinental title for a short period as well which is ridiculous, by the way. And and there is definitely a hint within this promo that Jericho is intimating that China doesn't belong because she's a woman. And yet they then go from that to this sort of respectful relationship between the two, which just doesn't really just don't really make a lot of sense to me. But that's what they did. Perhaps they should have gone the romance angle, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe. That would have gone down well in that, that time WF, wouldn't it? I would have thought. Yeah. I, I imagine that Triple H probably wouldn't have been too happy about it. Though. Oh, he couldn't stand Jericho, could he, at that point? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, also is China and, you know, he wanted yeah. to ultimately there's obviously something that has led to certain things happening in China's career as a consequence of Triple H's position, depending on what relationship he's in at, what, at any mm. given time, basically. So after that stuff, we have the WWE tag team title match. It's the New Age Outlaws 
defending against the rock and sock connection. It's a 16 minute contest, which ends when uh, rock hits a spine buster on road dog and then a rock bottom on Billy Gunn. But Al Snow, who had previously interfered in the match, attacks the rock in front of the referee, causing himself and mankind to be disqualified after the match. The Rock hits a rock bottom on Al Snow and then the People's Elbow. Old man. Well, we've got Mick Foley coming down in a blue shirt, which is very strange. Yeah. So that kind of had me back up straight away, to be honest. We talked about the Outlaws. They're not particularly good, but they know they're, they know how to have a tag match. I was expecting this to be entertaining stuff. And I've got to be honest, it was bloody dull. <laughs> it was really not very good at all, I didn't think. There was nothing to get me going. You obviously you have the bit where they go out into the crowd, and I was like, here we fucking go. They're gonna they're gonna wait the because the crowd are almost dead at this point. Mm. I think half of them are dead. I think Armageddon's hit half of them, <laughs> and uh, you've got that really livens them up. And I'm like, come on then, come on, yes, that's good, that's good stuff. And then they go back into the ring, and it goes into this formulaic WWE tag team match where one of the faces is worked over by the heels. In this case, the rocks get worked over. And then they go back and forth. And then Al Snow turns up. And I'm like, fuck off, Al Snow. Like, if I'm going to sit through this, I at least want the comeback to actually mean something. So that it actually happens. But obviously, they don't want them. I'm stupid, really. A bit naive. Because they don't want them to have the titles. But they can't have them lose clean as well. Because you don't want one of the Road Dog or Billy Gunn pinning one of the Rock or Mankind. I put down that the crowd are flatter. Oh no, the match ending is flatter than a Chris Masters pop. <laughs> the uh, we've we ruined you, haven't we, haven't we, old man? For all these Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express tag team matches, yeah, you know what? We've ruined you. Genu- you can't can't watch a match like this anymore, can you? No, because not like this either. Because the, I think this is the kind of match where if it was the Outlaws against, let's say, well, it wouldn't be the same match. But say the Hardys at this point of the Hardys' career, I wouldn't have minded it. But because you've got the Rock and Mankind in there, I'm like, come on. You can keep this up a couple of notches if you want. Kick up half a notch if you want. Just move a leg and, <laughs> and I'll be happy. But yeah, not not very good this. I've got to be honest. This is the first match I've been disappointed with. Like, I know I love Val Venus, but I wasn't expecting much from that triple threat when I saw David Boy waddle out like he'd shit himself. <laughs> but yeah, this is the first one where I was like, this will actually kick it up a bit. And it didn't, it didn't kick it down, but I was still in the same position. I just thought you booked yourself into a position that you can't get out of to give them the titles. On Raw, a couple of, especially the way they used to do these titles, have a four corners match, have them not lose, you know, have, them brought, have, have Triple H come down and attack Mankind and Rock and whoever's he's feeling with. Easy, easy to get out of it. Just give the, give the crowd something here. But this was just, I, I, the, the, I found the New Age Outlaws doing the oh you didn't know thing when their heels quite odd. And they yeah. continue to do that. It's like a little bit grating. Um, I, I, I actually tried to turn well not tried I, w- I was able to work out how to turn the volume up but I actually turned the volume up on what I was watching this on because thinking if I got this too quiet because I just can't hear the crowd and I just think that um we touched on this earlier on I think WWF around this time until the radicals came in was about the shows wasn't it and the pay-per-views didn't ever really quite work and there were some good matches in the in the pay-per-views uh, but actually the kind of um obviously the Bret Hart era had been over for quite a long time Steve Austin was out and unless you had a combination of really Austin, Rock or Triple H against each other, you're probably not getting all that good of a main event, really. And Mankind, actually, to be fair, as well. You're probably not getting all that good of a main event. And it's just like, yeah, it just it just, it just, just didn't really work. And I, I just thought, 
it's pretty unforgivable to have the rock and mankind out there to your you know top baby face and not give the crowd a positive finish when you could easily get get those titles off them in, in a way in, in in a matter of you know days if they wanted to the next night but yeah not yeah. not great well it's interesting you say that Stephen, because when you said old man that yeah they don't want the titles to go onto the rock and Salt connection but they don't want mankind and the rock to be pinned i was like well it wouldn't surprise me if they did. And I was watching it in this, in them thinking that they probably do switch the belts because in 1999, they switched the tag team titles 15 times. Beautiful. It was ridiculous. So it start the, the titles went from the corporation team of the boss man and Ken Shamrock to Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart, to Kane and X-Pac, to the Acolytes, to the Hardy Boys, back to the Acolytes, back to Kane and X-Pac, to the Unholy Alliance of Big Show and The Undertaker, to the Rock and Sock Connection, <laughs> Back to the Unholy Alliance, back to the Rock and Sock Connection, the New Age Outlaws, the Rock and Sock Connection, uh, the Holly Cousins, Al Snow and Mankind, and then the New Age Outlaws won the title, which is the title reign that they're in at that time. So I was a bit like, they probably do switch it again another couple of times. So I actually went into this match thinking that the Rock and Sock Connection might win, but it didn't make the match any better for me watching it because I was the same. I just thought it's listless. It's it's fine. Mm. You know, it's again, it's adequate. It's an adequate wrestling match. But this is the rock and sock. And not only that, at this time, with Austin out injured for the, the coming year, these are not just two of your top baby faces. These are your two top baby yeah. faces. There's no one else in the company as popular as these two guys. And yet the fans don't really care about it. The fans have been largely quite quiet throughout. And this mm. kind of really underlined how quiet they were because you're like, well, if even the rock can't really get them excited, they, they kind of do pop a little bit for him coming out and they are chanting for, you know, they're chanting Rocky and some of them even chant Rock and Sock at one point. But it's just not the level of noise you expect for your top baby face. And indeed, The Rock, who, in, in fairness to him, was a massively popular baby face. But for whatever reason, in this setting, um, it just didn't come across. And I think that's probably because the show by the, up to this point had been had been pretty rough in, in most yeah. cases. <laughs> So next up, we there's something that's cut. Did you notice this? There's something that's cut from the show on the WWE Network. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but it cuts. Unlike some of the cuts we've seen on the network, it cuts unnaturally. So oh yeah, I did spot this. Yeah, yeah. So they seem to be talking about something, then it just cuts and it would go somewhere else. I, maybe it was just an original production mess that they'd made, but it felt like they'd cut something out that they didn't want people to see. And it wouldn't surprise me given what we've already seen on the show is ever all every chance that they put something in that would be ridiculously offensive to today's eyes. Then we get the video. This is the one that everybody's been waiting for, isn't it? Let's be honest. The video of the buildup between the big show and the big boss man. I started making notes and I tried to try it all. And then I got fed up in the middle and then I started again for some reason. So this is, these are the, the notes the ramblings basically that I had whilst I was watching this. So we've got the big show being told that his father has passed away and then GTV showing that it was a setup. So the boss man had set up this moment to tell the big show his father died, but the big show's father has died because in storyline, at least because there is going to be a funeral. We have um, big show pushing a dumpster onto a car with the boss man in. It also shows the boss man invading the funeral of the big show's father and boss man towing the casket away. We also see big show trying to dive on the casket to try and stop it from being Close. <laughs> uh, dragged away. Bossman then becoming number one contender by defeating The Rock on Raw. He pinned <laughs> The Rock. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Then Bossman shown talking to the Big Show's mum 
and it being revealed that the Big Show is a bastard, presumably because yeah. he because ma- they he was born out out of wedlock. Yeah, who wants to un who wants to untile that? <laughs> it's so bad. I have heard Bruce Pritchard talk about this on a podcast, and he is in hysterics about how they filmed the funeral scene. I'm going to run it past you boys because I don't find it particularly funny, to be honest. So they're in a legitimate cemetery and there are other funerals going on while they're filming this. And he's laughing his head off about this, Pritchard. He's like, oh, yeah, we got like the big show like, hanging on to the casket and there's other funerals going on. And I, I remember hearing that because I... And I can remember not really finding it particularly funny. And I was like, I should probably be finding this funny the age I was. And I was like, this is just a bit crap. And what I find incredible about it is that all of this happens within about three weeks, I think. Mm. Like the escalation is quite something, quite incredible stuff. I I did quite enjoy the boss man with Big Show's mom, if I'm honest. Because he, but even is that a big, big of a deal if you've? I she's in a gym, he's <laughs> yeah. in a gym, and he's like, you've got to tell him, uh, or I will. And then it's just like a secret camera thing. I thought that, was, I thought that was pretty good. I mean, I just think the whole, I, I agree with you about the funeral thing. I've, I've heard that as well, and that is, that is bad, and that kind of puts a di- kind of a different angle on um, that, that bit. Albeit Big Boss Man's poem about uh, Big Show Dad was phenomenal. Um, <laughs> I, it is good. I just don't understand this. Like, this is a pay-per-view. This is a time where they're, they're having to try and sell pay-per-views. You've not got Steve Austin. There must be a better option. We talked about Test earlier on. There must be a better option than Big Show versus Big Boss Man. Because this is... Is is this the the WF title match on pay-per-view with the least star power in history? Because I couldn't think of one. I couldn't think of one that was worse than this. Because Big Show was just a nothing. They, he was ruined by this point. He was just a kind of a big guy with a, t- with a t-shirt on that the crowd just could not care less about. And, and yeah, just terrible. And obviously you got the big boss man. I mean, crikey, bizarre. I think you're probably right. I can't think of one that's that's no. certainly worse as well in terms of not necessarily the match, although we'll get. There. But but just in terms of the build, who Big Show is facing, the the prospect, I think, is why it's the worst. Like the prospect of the Big Show against the Big Boss Man, the Big Boss Man, even after this is the Big Boss Man who had gone through the Kennel from Hell match. Mm -hmm. So that's where the Big Boss Man is at this point in his career. And yet he's fighting for the World Championship, having pinned the rock on Raw. I mean, that's the bit that really sticks in the throat, doesn't it? Trying to say that. And um, you're probably right in that regard. I think this is all a consequence of everything that was going on with Austin and the fact that he got mm-hmm. injured because also this feud did start before the Survivor Series. So the Survivor Series matches, the boss man, Prince Albert, and I think two other people against the Big Show yeah, in a four-on-one right. handicap. And so Big Show's already piled through them all. <laughs> and then you're then you're expecting to sell a one-on-one match between them for the title. I mean, the psychology behind that is just something amazing, isn't it? I mean, what are they thinking? And, and you know, I think you're right. I think there's, there's any number of people that could be in Big Show's position, but there's probably any number of people who could be in the boss man's position mm. as well. It, you know, even if you had gone with the Big Show, couldn't you have put somebody else in there with him? I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm asking too much of them. Of course, the other thing that they were count, trying to counter at the time was the Undertaker's injury that was putting him out of action for the next mm. six, seven months. So they, they were losing two of their big stars in fact we spoke about it at judgment day in your house austin and the undertaker along with kane were pretty much their main event 
And by this point, Kane had been turned babyface and into a comedy mid-card act, really, until he got into a view with X-Pac. And Austin and Undertaker were injured. So they were really losing their big stars. You know, the two big stars had carried the, the main event end of the company for the previous sort of two and a half years. So it, it they were in a little bit of a bind. And I think this is probably where it most shows is that this mm. is the world title match. Yeah, just 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 phenomenally bad. I, I do wonder what would have happened in that um that triple threat match had Austin been around mm. you know around still because I'm I'm guessing they might have still got Triple H and Mankind. The other, the other thing I thought and I I've never I've never had this substantiate anywhere, but I heard a thing years and years ago that the Big Show had been promised a WrestleMania 2000 main event in his contract when he first signed. I don't know if you ever heard that, but that uh, that's why I wondered why he was in it. He was in, obviously, he was in that match in the Four Corners match. But yeah. I wonder whether that, that he was in it, whether that match was done to make sense of, you know, him being in it, I suppose. Because otherwise, I think you might have got, I don't think you got Triple H versus The Rock, but you might have got Triple H, Mankind and The Rock, who take the big show out of that equation altogether. But I've got, have either of you ever heard that in terms of the WrestleMania main event? No. I've never heard that, but it doesn't at all surprise me because obviously he came over from WCW. He's the one, well, not the one, but the one of the, couple of homemade WCW stars that were still young when WCW was kind of big and they lured him over for some ridiculous I seem to remember his contract was like a million dollars a year for 10 years guaranteed or something so it would not have surprised me if they'd have chucked that in as well because they're already giving him loads of money and if you're giving someone that much money you kind of want to tie it to well you'll be in the main event of WrestleMania it wouldn't it wouldn't in many respects when you're already paying someone that amount of money it would be silly to not aim for them to be in the WrestleMania main event the following year so it would absolutely make sense to me it would make sense that they would push or they were building up to a Big Show Steve Austin match, but they'd completely ruined Big Show's aura by this point. So yeah. it's so unlikely. And I think, I don't know what, you know, if, if those injuries hadn't occurred, I have no idea what they would have done at WrestleMania. Yeah. I think it might have been Austin The Rock, but Austin, because yeah. I think it was supposed to be Austin turning heel one yes. year early, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right, yeah. So I think that's where they, how they get to that point, I don't know. But um, I mean, maybe maybe Austin wins a title on Survivors. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But that would have been early for Triple H, wouldn't it? So I wonder if Triple H goes through the rumble. Um, but yeah, it's, it, uh, we'll never know, I suppose, will we? I think it made Triple H, put it this way, that Austin mm-hmm. got injured. Um, because I think if he hadn't, I don't know if you'd have seen Triple H reach quite the heights he eventually did. So, yes, Big Show versus Bossman for the title. Uh, it's, a, it's a classic. It comes in at three minutes. And uh, basically, uh, Big Show nips up after being down on the floor. Does he hits, ever, Hits Bossman with a big boot and then choke slams him to win the match. Mercifully short. There are some boring chants in the middle of this. Although I will continue to maintain that there should never be boring chants during a match that's three minutes in length. No. Um, this first came up when Mark Henry and Viscera fought each other at No Way Up 2000 in what we have since classic. classified as an absolute bona fide six stars in the Tokyo Dome classic. <laughs> um, but this wasn't, this didn't hit the heights of Mark Henry versus no. Viscera. It wasn't even five stars in the Tokyo Dome. But three minutes, you shouldn't be getting boring chance. Anyway, old man. There's a cracking chimp slam on Albert through the Spanish notes table. Mm. Enjoyed that. Then there's some stuff. It happens. Big Show does the nip up with the help of the ropes which is still absolutely incredible that he did it. Because when he reached up to get the ropes, I was like, he's going to try and nip up here. And I had images of him just basically breaking something. But he didn't. Fair fucks to him. Because he's a big old lad. Um, The thing that got me, so we've just watched that video, probably about a four-minute video. So it was longer than the match. 
they've done all of that build for this. Mm. And I was like, like we've talked about like payoffs to feuds on this podcast before. Like this is already how you do it. You've kind of like invested people. I mean, admittedly, like we just said, I don't think many people were that invested in this. But if you're going to go to all that effort, at least give them ten minutes. Like, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't have wanted to watch ten minutes of the Big Show and the Big Boss Man. <laughs> but I was just like, what's the fucking point? You may be the, the only person in the world who's ever called for the Big Show, Big Show and Big Boss Man to go ten minutes in the ring. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, I mean, we'll get onto it. But I would have taken a few more minutes of this to knock a few minutes off the thing that's coming next. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've just written an absolute and complete waste of time, and I think that's what this was. <laughs> just dreadful. dreadful. I think I think this is the match they would have had had Austin not got injured. I think they've just proceeded with the exact feud yeah. that they were yeah. trying to do between the Big Show and Boss Man before Austin got injured. And then when he got injured, they just thought, fuck it, we'll put the WWE Championship in there and we'll make it go three minutes. It's fine. No problem. Doesn't matter. Big Show's not going to hold the title for very long anyway. He's going to lose it uh, to Triple H not long after this. So, yeah. Um, Big Show. <laughs> just, it's just bad, isn't it? It's really bad. And, you know, this is when things are stacking up. Because I'm like, you know, they, we for me anyway, we've had the high of Jericho versus China, which I know, old man, you didn't particularly appreciate. Yeah. And I, But then I'm like, God, Big Show, Boss Man, that awful evening gown pool match the nothing he could angle match the hollies versus rikichi and viscera the mess that was val venus the bulldog and dilo brown hopefully this main event is going to save the night the video of the build-up to vince versus triple h um is played next we see vince helping big shows we discussed earlier on to win the title of the survivor series we then see dx attacking both test and shane mcmahon then vince ramming dx's limo with his car and destroying it with a baseball bat vince then being arrested then vince throwing triple h off the stage after attacking him from behind we then see the stephanie and test wedding and triple h interrupting uh, and then being shown wedding Stephanie in Las Vegas while Stephanie is apparently unconscious. Um, we then see the stipulation set for the match, which will be, be that if Vince wins the match, the wedding will be annulled. But if Triple H wins, he gets a title shot. That's all the build up. Any thoughts on the on the video? Well, I have one note, which is Shane McMahon takes an incredible bump where he's lobbed off the stage and he must go at least 15 feet away and he flips over and lands on a table it looks yeah. absolutely incredible that was on raw i think it was it was oh yeah. and the best thing about that was when he landed he had a leather jacket on and it went up over his head like he was like and then i think someone was out someone was down there and i like, pulled it down because obviously he couldn't like he was selling it so he, couldn't, he was like oh that i mean this is not a great look if i'm basically doing actions and no words <laughs> that's what it worked on like a podcast but it was good go and watch the go and watch raw from that week whatever it was the i'm gonna tell you what day it was the raw from the 6th of december 99 to see shane mcmahon getting golfed in his own jacket i'll take an incredible <laughs> yeah the thing about this is again I, I really feel this is another consequence of austin and the undertaker not being around i can't <laughs> see Triple H and Vince McMahon headlining a pay-per-view at this period in time, if not for those injuries. I don't know exactly what they would have had. Probably the Triple H Austin final match in their feud, I would imagine, would have been what they'd have gone to. Um, but yes, we have Triple H versus Vince McMahon. It is 
a near 30 minute match 29 minutes 45 seconds stephanie mcmahon is at ringside seated in the crowd it's a no holds barred falls count anywhere contest and triple h walks to the ring with his sledgehammer to kind of set things up at the beginning of the match the end then comes we have got triple h raising the sledgehammer above his head to intimate he's going to hit vince with it but hit vince hits a low blow and then hits triple h with a steel pipe then vince grabs the sledgehammer and he goes to hit triple h but stephanie then jumps over the guard round gets in the ring and asks vince if he if she can hit him when she gets the hammer however she hesitates and triple h snatches the hammer away triple h then hits vince with the sledgehammer and pins vince for the win after the match, Stephanie turns around and hugs Triple H, revealing that she's turned on her father and raises his hands. Who wants to go first? <laughs> uh, it's after, after you, I think. After you. I've got a page and a half on this, but I, I'm not, I'm so... Well, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to stop talking there. After you. After it's, you. <laughs> it's funny, no, Steve, it's funny, though, because I also quite literally do have a page and a half of notes yeah. on this match, but I never... And, and I do that with nearly every match I watch. Well, certainly every main event match. I never end up reading out half of them. <laughs> handwritten as well. Are you handwritten or you're a typer? Yeah, handwritten. Handwritten. Notes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I used to type and I find it easier to watch writing, How which is something Tinky said. Yeah. Yeah. I have seven lines on this match. So here we go. Is, so is, this is, is, it's like a sonnet. Yeah. Right, ready? <laughs> it's exactly what it should be. A brawl with weapons. Can't read what that says. <laughs> it goes on and on and Ariston for the uh, for the kids out there. What an amazing callback that was so <laughs> from about 25, 30 years ago. <laughs> um, the outside stuff. So they leave the ring. They leave the ring. Thank God they're out that bloody ring. Get out that ring. These fans have paid good money to watch them fight. Initially in like a little alcove in the dark, completely in the dark. <laughs> so we can't see anything. So they do that for a little bit. And then they go back to the resort area and then they go out again. Then they go outside. Triple H has disappeared. Where's he gone? Don't know. I, I do know. I'd figured it out. Vince had him, poor bugger. So Vince has a walk around going, where are you, you bastard? Ah, all that. All that good stuff. All that good overacting stuff. And then Triple H tries to run him over. Lovely old job. All the while, these poor cunts that have sat through what, to this point, is one of the worst shows I think I've ever watched. They're just sat there and they're like, what are we doing here then? <laughs> what should we do here then? And then they go back out and then some, some stuff happens and then it ends. And, uh, yeah, just oh, terrible. <laughs> just <laughs> terrible. Um, Vince takes a great bump off of the, uh, like, there's some scaffolding by the um, entranceway. So he takes a good bump, not quite Shane McMahon-esque, not quite as high as that, but fair fucks to him. He's 54 and he's wearing a jumper, which leads me to believe he's not quite ripped Vince that he would become. But no, this is um, this is really, really, really dull. It's Vince McMahon resting for 29 minutes and 45 seconds. The poor fucker. I know oh, it's his company. Am I to believe but, that you didn't like this then, old man? I didn't. But <laughs> see, this is where I'm going to. It's a swerve because the turn is great. The turn is really great. The turn is as good as I remember it. It's just a pity that it comes at the end of this intolerable shit. Mm. 
where to start with this? I'm going to try. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go through every single one of these bullet points. I'm going to try and pick up pick up some some uh, some key things. <laughs> Stephanie came out in a long leather jacket. I think long leather jackets were absolutely a thing at the top the time. I had one, but I never quite grew into. I think I got extra large, which was. Uh, yeah, just didn't ever fit me. <laughs> Looked like an absolute sleeping bag on me. Um, Vince's punches were, were terrible, weren't they? Oh, it's yeah. clear where Shane gets his atrocious punches from. And um, they said that Triple H was 28. It's actually 30. And I think they said in commentary that Vince was 53. It was actually 54. And I, I read in the Observer from this week that Meltzer had once asked Vince how old he was. And Vince didn't know. He was like, I'm either this age or this age. And <laughs> Dave was like, well, were you born in 1945 or 1944, 1946? And he was like, oh, 1945. And he was like, well, you're this age then. So Vince basically no-sold his age. Mankind came out of a trolley, but he was too much of a good man to get involved himself. I mean, oh. Steph's facials at ringside were good, I think. Did, did you both mm. think that? I, I've written in my yeah. notes, I feel like I need validation of this opinion, um, <laughs> which, I've now, which I've now got. Yeah. Um, the hide-and-seek bit, if I was Vince... Why doesn't he just go back to, to the ring and have like a Lucas aid or something and just leave? Triple <laughs> H is going to go outside. Like, what's going to happen? He's going to lose the match. So you've got, you need to come and beat me to get your WF title shot. So get some Oku Pro down you. You'll be yeah, fine. Exactly. <laughs> don't, don't go outside so he can run you over. Absolutely ridiculous. And then still more. Why did, why did Vince climb up after Triple H as well? Like, I just oh. don't, I don't understand. Like, why are you climbing a tower? That doesn't make any sense. Just get off the tower. And obviously he got knocked off and onto into a skip full of crash pads and other soft items. And he was bleeding from this fall onto his back. Yeah. I liked it when Triple H got a microphone and said to Stephanie, tell me how it feels, baby. And Steph said that she hated him. He then told her he was her daddy. And then onto the turn. Now, I don't want to be contrary on this. <laughs> But I right, thought this. Was, I thought this. I remember. I remember thinking this turn was really good. But I don't think the turn was hard enough. Like she, she basically looked worried after everything had happened. Still, but then turned. So I just. I don't. I didn't really get. I didn't really get the way they did it. I would have thought surely the, the the turn here is low blow or you hit Vince over the head with a hammer. I think if this if they if if, if they done ten minutes of brawling. And they could have gone all around the ringside and then Stephanie hard turns on on Vince. Mm. I think it would have been okay. But all of the stuff I've said, plus the fact that Vince, a non-wrestler, dominated quite a lot yeah. of this. And it's like who's more who's more believable in nine times time? Vince or China? I think probably mm. China. But then you've got Vince. China. Yeah, I mean I've, I think um St. Valentine's, St. Valentine's Day Massacre with Steve Austin. I think from memory, Vince did Vince get on top at all in that? I can't really. I don't think. I don't believe so. Not from memory. So it's it's all of a sudden from that point. He's another what seven or eight months older, nine months older, and now he's a wrestler. And then he goes from this and he dominates Hulk Hogan for most of their match four years later. And it's just like how how is this? You know what what MMA camp have him and Shane been at to get him prepared for this match? <laughs> but yeah, I just thought that this was a terrible match to end. Genuinely, I think I watched Bunkhouse Stampede. For my, for my offshoot podcast, I know I don't do anymore because I can't, I can't hack watching any more wrestling. I think this was worse than that. Um, and I, as an 18-year-old, I fast-forwarded to the end, as we, we talked about, and I really wish I could have done that here. I thought this was absolutely awful. Well, we, we thank you for uh, for sitting through it all the way. Yeah. Actually, being able to contribute. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just long and boring and 
shit. I love the fact that you're right, old man. They go into this little alcove in the arena. Can't see a fucking thing. It's the it's darkest dark. bit yeah. of the entire stadium. They also, they do this very regularly through the match. They have a camera on Stephanie. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But the, the one thing I wanted to specifically talk about at this point is because you're, we're talking about the crowd, is that they, they sort of show a wide shot of her. And it's when they're outside. It's when they're in the car park and whatever. And there are legitimately people just stood there with their hands in their pockets looking up at the screen. And I was just like, fuck, they don't know what to do with themselves because they're just so bored. And they're just like, why Why did I pay for this? Like, I have, there's been five or ten minutes in the crowd, so I can't see any of that. There's been another five or ten minutes outside, can't see any of that. But they spend an eternity in the aisle. They, they seem to be there forever. It's, yeah. just un, oh, it's just unbelievable. Going back to Stephanie, though, the heel thing, the, the turn, I thought was quite interesting because... As the match was going on and knowing what I know about the end of the match, I was like, why is she pretending so much that she wants Vince to win? Mm, like yeah. I could I could I would have bought it more if the camera didn't go to her so often and she was just genuine generally showing concern because then it would have made sense afterwards. You could just sell it as if she was concerned for Triple H, not for Vince. But she's all concerned all the way through it and she's cheering for Vince and, and every time Vince is on top she's smiling and she seems happy and I'm like, You're working too hard to to swerve us. I and I don't think it it works. I think you're better off just having her more neutral than this and then yeah. having a turn at the end. And so that's partially why I didn't like the turn. The other thing was though that the end required Vince to be protected. Like yeah. why why do you need to protect he's just done half an hour in the ring with a guy who's already been world champion in your company. You're not a wrestler and you're 54 years of years of age. And Jim Ross goes to great pains to remind us again and again <laughs> that he is 54 years yeah. of age. And I think they just about pushed the boundary of realism by kind of selling the idea that the only reason Vince has been able to hang with Triple H is because he's so desperate to prevent his daughter from having to be trapped in this loveless marriage with Triple H. So I kind of I could just about accept that. But then the fact that they needed to protect him by having Stephanie effectively like, you know, not want to hit Triple H with the, the sledgehammer and then. Triple H getting like a, a sort of cheap shot in with the sledgehammer and winning the match. I just thought that's pathetic. Mm. This is the guy you're now going to rely on to be one of your two top stars in the company because of the injuries we've already spoken about. And you've had him protect, had to like get a cheap victory over a 54 year old non wrestler. Like it's just, it's really not well booked in my view. I didn't see the need to include Stephanie until after the match. I just thought, have the match, Triple mm. H wins, and then have Stephanie get in the ring, almost kind of look as though she maybe she's worried about her dad by kind of crouching over her, but you don't know why she's doing it, so she could just be telling Vince, you know, screw you. And then Triple H kind of spinning it around and then them do the hug. That would have been fine, but I just didn't see the need to have it, having had her involved in the match. I just thought that was pathetic. Yeah. And it's just, it's not a good match. It's a really dull contest. I mean, it's not as bad as some things we've seen. We are, we have definitely seen worse than Triple H versus Vince in our in our travels, but not too many in the main event position. Not too no. many been as bad as this in the main event position. And so I guess that brings us to our overall thoughts, our rating out of ten for the show, our MVP of the night, and our match of the night. Uh, oh, Ben, I'll start with you. Don't really know. <laughs> I think a rating. I'm going to give it a two. Because so I think this, I think this is not far off Survivor Series 2010 that we watched a few weeks ago, and that's the worst show I can remember watching ever. <laughs> and I think it might be the same rating. I can't remember. You gave that at all? Yeah, I think that's fair. Because this does deserve a three. 
You ain't getting a three. You also gave sold out 97 a two as well. Yeah, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. There aren't many redeeming features to this show at all. And that was what I kept thinking when I was watching. I was like, there's nothing, there's no warmth in the show that just for me to cling on to, to just be like, ah, oh, come on. Five Inches has got a black towel. I knew I was onto a loser when he turned up in that bloody thing. <laughs> um, my match of the night is unbelievably the European Championship match. <laughs> like, unbelievably. Given that one of them was probably coped to the gills, one of them looked terrified of slamming anyone to the floor, and the other one, like as much as I love him, like you said, Tinky, probably just passed his best at this point. Um, and my MVP is the king in a very specific moment when he goes, JR, you said penis. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to mess up your rating scale here, because obviously I'm, I'm an interloper. But I would. I'm not going to go minus on it. I think I'm going to go one out of ten, and one out. Well, the one is purely for Jericho and China, which is the only redeeming thing on this whole pay per view. There's nothing else that's that's good. I thought that was. I thought that was decent. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's as far as good. That being said, though, the near falls were good or very good actually. So while the overall match was only probably decent to good, I thought the near falls were a pretty high level. Um, and my my MVP, and I never thought I'd say these words or this word is China. I, I was impressed with China on this on this show because I expected, you know, I don't know what I expected, just <laughs> terrible, but I got <laughs> adequate. I know you've used adequate quite a lot recently, and I can't remember Survivor Series 2010 at all, so I can't I can't judge that against, against that unfortunately. So yeah, that's my rating, one out of ten. Yeah, no, that I mean that's that's perfectly legitimate. And in fact, Tom, who you've replaced today, is the most likely to give a one out of ten. Okay. So mm. he's given about three or four shows a one out of ten. I am going to give it a two. I'm going to give it because I do think I do think China and Jericho redeems the show a tiny bit. I do think it's a good match. It is my match of the night too. The main event isn't very good, but it's not utterly terrible. If you see what I mean, like I, I couldn't go ahead and go, this is an absolute dud. It's, it's okay. And I always struggle when there's a match where I really do think that the two men have really put in an effort. Mm. And it's not like, it's not like they didn't, they missed any spots. It's not like they were, they, they botched anything. It's not like this didn't do exactly what they wanted it to do. Like this was exactly the match they tried to they tried to have. So I, I struggle to think of it as terrible. It's just a really bad main event and it's very long. And I wonder whether or not it had it been 15 minutes, whether it would have been pretty entertaining, because I think in fairness, we've spoke, spoke about this on the podcast before. Vince does know how to have a 15 minute fun match like he, they fill it full of shortcuts, yeah. of course, and they often have people interfere and they have like the kind of bumps that we see in this match, Vince McMahon falling off of the tower, um, you know, usually people going through tables, all kinds of stuff like that. But this just is so long. It's just so long. Yeah. Um, just ill-conceived, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Ill-conceived is, is the perfect way of, de- of describing it. There's a lot of shit. There's a lot of absolute shit on it, this, this show. But I, I'm really struggling. I'm really tempted to give it a one, and the, it doesn't help that if I that I know what the average rating will be if I give it a one, it will be our worst ever show. Um, and I'm kind of like, is it worse than? Uh, basically, this is coming down to is it worse than Survivor Series mm-hmm. 2010 for me? It is, and it's not. I think the thing is for me is that Survivor Series 2010 was not a great. There was more 
better wrestling, I think, on Survivor Series 2010, but nothing meant anything in that show, as far as I could tell. Whereas this, some things did mean things to people, but the wrestling in general was worse. Mm. So I'm going to keep it as a two. Yeah, Matt and Ike China uh, versus Jericho. Matt, MVP, I'm going to give it to Michael Cole for that opening <laughs> promo uh, interview that he does with BB. Incidentally, BB's the only person in this show that doesn't have a Wikipedia page of her own. Yeah. So, uh. No idea. Well, I forgot to say this. So apparently, I don't know whether it's just chat but they say that she was an emt at some of the shows yeah and that's how she got a spot on a pay-per-view <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't know much i can't remember much about bb she was one of those passing women that went through that just sort of didn't stick around for very long yeah. and the only other reason i was tempted to go back down to a one for that rating is that um we are promised at least by the picture on the uh, pay-per-view yeah. on the WWE Network yeah. the, the Undertaker, Undertaker. but yeah. there's no Undertaker on this because yes as we know he's injured and it's one of those things we've had this before where they've had somebody featured on the post that doesn't even appear at all in the show and it's one of those things where I think probably prior to the show months in advance they probably had a poster which had the Undertaker on it all designed yeah. and ready to go but by this point some 22 years later you thought oh yeah he's <laughs> not on this show we could probably just change that picture <laughs> yeah. to something else but they don't. Lex Luger with his family perhaps would be quite nice. You can <laughs> oh, use a picture where he's not actually on the show. It go. would be just as relevant. It would yeah. be just yeah. as relevant <laughs> as The Undertaker, to be honest. Okay, so that uh, just about uh, does it for Armageddon itself. But we still have the game to go. And yeah, uh, old man, you are our host. So what is in store for us this week? So we got Vince McMahon in the main event. Vince McMahon has had 61 opponents in his time wrestling between the 13th of April 1998 and the 8th of October 2012. Now, within this, uh, obviously, everyone that was in the Rumble 99, (laughs) that he won. Yeah. Which, I mean, there are some absolute doozies in there. (laughs) There are some absolute beauties. So there's 61 altogether. Like I said, I don't think we'll go lives. No, I think just yeah, I think straight out one and done. And because you're the guest, we'll let Tinky go first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I will start with Steve Austin then. Stone Cold, correct. Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, correct. Shane McMahon, Shane O'Mac, correct. I'm struggling already. Is he Adam? Oh God. Thinking about Royal Rumble and who was who must have been in it. Um, was Road Dogg? Yeah, obviously we have just watched a match with him. Oh yeah, yeah, that is true. <laughs> I'm going Road. I'm going Road Dog anyway. I'm punting on the 1999 yeah. Royal Rumble. Yeah, great. Well, I'll, I'll take Triple H then. <laughs> yeah, i committed there. So uh, is Billy Gunn in the 99 Royal Rumble? The bum Billy Gunn. He certainly is. Great. Shawn Michaels. The Heartburn Kid, correct. And I've seen some of these live, but my my mind is just completely blank. I'm trying to think what the last... He must have had a... Has he had a match with... Uh, um, back to 99. Um, crikey, this is... I'm not doing very well. I wish we could go... Can we go back and do the Survivor Series? Um, Survivors, <laughs> please, rather than this one. Uh, 99. Let's go... Hardcore Holly? Hang on. Oh, mate. 
You fucked it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was dreadful at that. God. That's amazing. It's uh, yeah. the pressure. It's the pressure. It's the pressure. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're going to kick yourself because you could have had Ric Flair. Um, yeah. The Rumble oh, course, 2002, yeah. I believe. Um, I'm Bobby Lashley. Pretty sure he was in a Bobby match. Bobby Lashley, yeah. Watched on this um, yeah. particular podcast. So in terms of the Rumble 99, I was thinking about this. I got yeah. a feeling Golga will be on there. Correct. I got a feeling Tiger Ali Singh was in that match. That's correct. Oh, this is unbelievable, yeah. Um, and to be honest, at that point, I'm starting to really get slim on the ground. Big Boss Man. Yeah, Big Boss Man, Big Bubba Boss Man, correct. Uh, Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock, yeah. Um, who else was going to be in that match? So probably, oh, fuck it. Let's just go for a really outside bet. Outside bet. Blue Meanie. The Blue Meanie, correct. <laughs> Uh, gold dust gold dust correct uh trying to think who else would have been in that match i mean god d brown d brown you're looking at the real deal now correct what about told the big valbowski yes of course he was um edge christian negative no okay well i'll uh, leave it at that there's, very there's well mother's... done though very well Gang, done. Gang, gangrel i'm assuming was probably in that yeah either. gangrel was in there so we had in alphabetical order al snow bret hart no, oh, oh WrestleMania 26 yeah. uh brock lesnar bubba ray dudley cm punk cena chris That's benoit yeah. chris jericho china cody rhodes Devon dudley Dan Seven, <laughs> Draws, Eric Bischoff, Eugene, Gerald Briscoe, Gilberg, Hornswoggle, Tinky's favourite, Jeff Jarrett, Ugh. Kane, the workhorse himself, Kurgan, uh, Kurt Angle, Mabel, Mankind, Western Supermare's finest, Mark Henry, uh, Midian, Owen Hart, Pat Patterson, Randy Orton, Robbie Brookside. What? Yeah, on an episode of Raw in the UK. Wow. Yeah, which is weird. Uh, RVD, Stephanie McMahon. Oh, of course. That's a high-profile one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Steve Blackman, Ted DiBiase Jr., Test, The Big Show, The Godfather, The Rock, The Undertaker, Trish Stratus, <laughs> William Regal, X-Pac, and the most tasteful on the list, Zach Gowan. <sighs> I just can't remember shit, really shit stuff. And I think that there's a lot of that is. I went through this list earlier and I was like, I am glad I'm doing it this week because if <laughs> someone had done this, wouldn't have had a clue. Well, I tell you what, if you want a challenge, and this is to all of our listeners, of course, um, hugequiz.com, I think it's called, cracking website. There is, they have huge quizzes on there as, as per the name of it nothing doing me i just happen to really like it one of them for example is you can do a quiz which is every single premier league player who's ever played is one of the quizzes on there it's like it's like sporkle but just bigger Mm. um and the way you score points on it is you get points per appearances so i think for example if you get ryan gigs you get 700 points and so on yeah um one of them though is every person to have entered the royal rumble wow okay Um, both men and women rumbles right the way through till 1988 the first one um so yeah uh if you fancy a challenge that's the kind of thing you'll those are the kind of answers you'll get though tiger alley saying gilberg uh <laughs> golga yeah. gangrel those kinds of things cracking stuff beth phoenix she'll she'll be in there yes 
Yeah. Um, are we good? We're not doing this now, are we? Yeah, yeah, come on, let's do it now. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll leave old man to to record the rest of this podcast on his own for the next couple of hours. Um, but uh, but we'll also do the outro. Um, so, old man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much for listening. I mean, we've had a uh, momentous, momentous few weeks on this podcast. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having Stephen here. But with the greatest of respect, don't remember that. Just remember Ken Patera. And Stephen, thank you for your contributions as well today. No, thank you. I really enjoyed it. If you ever need a, a, a Savio Vega in the future to fill in, uh, just let <laughs> me know. And these guys, hopefully, maybe one or two of my th- hundreds of thousands of listeners in Mid-South might have come, obviously come across <laughs> to listen to your show tonight. So these guys do a great job. I'm delving into the back catalogue. It's hilarious stuff. So, yeah, get involved and keep on listening. and Keep up the good work, gents. And thank you very much for the invite. He's done better promo for this podcast than Tom's ever managed in the uh, 46 (laughs) previous episodes we've had. That is all we have got time for today. We'll be back again next week. But until then, take care. And on. And Ariston. And on. And on. And on. And Aristotle. Um...